get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on gotodobbs.com today. This is the Ribs and BK Podcast on 101 ESPN. Conversations in hockey cities is centered around this playoff format where it's it's an unprecedented 24 teams playing in the postseason uh, and the matchups that it produces. You got 24 different markets right now that are talking about playoff matchups. They're talking about the possibility of going from being a non-playoff team to a potential cup winner if you're the Blackhawks or the Rangers or the Canadiens. The intended effect was to change the conversation away from testing, safety protocols, will we come back and play, to give people a chance to talk about hockey again. He's former Blues defenseman Jamie Rivers. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. That was Greg Wyshynski on ESPN yesterday. The NHL is coming back. Jamie, don't you dare <laughs> try to tamp down my excitement because yesterday I was listening to the fast lane and I heard them break in with the breaking news of the day. Gary Bettman with a press conference announcing a 24-team playoff. The top four teams in each conference going to do a round robin. We'll get to that in a minute. I'm not a fan. The bottom eight teams in each conference are going to have a play-in round that includes a best-of-five series. We'll figure out some of the other semantics later. That's basically what they said. At eh, time, we'll figure that out. How, how long the first round is going to be, well, we'll figure that out, too. They got time to figure all of that stuff out. But the basis for what the postseason is going to look like is in place. Jamie, what was your reaction yesterday? Well, I thought, again, well thought out by the NHL. I think that, again, it just shows that the players' union and the ownership group, they're they're on the same page. They're working together. It's the most cohesive group of people I've ever seen in the history of my existence in pro hockey. From day one, the year I was supposed to play in the NHL, my very first year in 1994, guess what? There was a lockout. Okay, so right from the get-go there, I've seen a lot of problems, and I went through two more after that. So just to let you know, it was a little bit of a tough go here for a while. But all that is way behind us because apparently Gary Bettman and Donald Fear and the Players Association, they're all drinking buddies now. They're hanging out. They're coming up with solutions. They're getting out in front of it. Gary Bettman's bringing us you know, video and audio from his house where he doesn't have any control over his dog or maybe his grandkids. However... However, he's got a lot of control over what's going on right now, and I like it. I like it all. I like it all just based on the fact that we're headed in the right direction. So we now know what it's going to look like when the 
play resumes, and I say win because it is a win, Jamie, not an if. No, I know that. I, I guess I'm just cautious about it because I don't want the NHL to get too far out ahead of itself, and then all of a sudden there's a problem. I think they're doing it the right way, and I do believe we will have hockey. I just, with my luck, I'll tell you what, I'm just going to be cautious back here. We don't want to have Jamie Rivers' bad juju onto this. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. And, baby, we're getting it done early. Another show of horrid takes by BK. That one coming in from the 636. I don't think you're going to hate this one. Now, Jamie's going to dislike it, but I think this is well, a fair take. I'll probably just clear, clean it up for you and that's, help you out. That's kind of how this show goes, typically. Okay. Well, let's hear your hot take. Gary Bettman, I don't think this is a hot take. Gary Bettman yesterday explained the round-robin concept. I want to hear from him first, and then I'll explain why I dislike this for the Blues. The top four teams in each conference will claim automatic berths in the first round of the playoffs. They will play intra-conference round-robins, each playing the other three teams to determine their respective seeds in the first round. These games will be played with regular season overtime and shootout rules with ties in the final standings broken by regular season points percentage. So that was Gary Bettman explaining it yesterday, talking about specifically what it's going to look like when the Blues enter the postseason. We don't have to worry about the play-in stuff for the Blues. They're not going to be involved in that. They're going to be involved in this top four round robin. Now, here's why I dislike it for a team like the Blues, Jamie. If you're trying to incentivize the Blues playing those first three games in a way that matters, I get that. But if you're incentivizing it, you're essentially saying the seeding matters. You're saying getting one of the first seed is better than getting the fourth seed. So why would a three-game stretch penalize the Blues from what they've done all year by doing poorly in three games and ending up as the four seed as opposed to the one seed. The Blues are going into this as the automatic one seed based on what they've done for 71 games of the regular season. And now if they have a bad three, four day stretch, they could go all the way down to the four seed. So that's why I dislike this. I don't like penalizing a team like the Blues for having a bad three-game stretch. Okay, so here's where we start to educate you a little okay. bit, okay? Now, the regular season, was it concluded when the pause happened? Was it over? No. No. Okay, so great. So now, therefore, the Blues were, I believe, one point ahead of Colorado at the time. Point percentage so, better. Okay. Yeah. Whatever the case, sure. right? There were games remaining, which means the Blues may not have finished first. They may not have. So what Gary Bettman and the Players they Association... They would have finished first or second, though. Okay. I, you're going to let me power through this. Okay. What Gary Bettman and the Players Association have done here is the teams that were close on the bottom. We said, okay, we're going to play in. Okay, so now this is kind of substituting out those last regular season games so that we give everybody the old college try here, right? Here you go. You got your chance. Same to be said with the top four teams. There was still, I know they were guaranteed first or second. It is what it is. There's never going to be anything perfect. But there were games remaining, which means the Blues weren't guaranteed to get first in the conference. And I like this. I really do. You got to have some important games just because you're the top four teams. The worst thing I heard was the bye. That to me, I was like, that's yeah. insanity. You can't do that because you're going to have teams that are fighting for their lives, hockey lives, that is, to get into the playoffs. 
and you got these guys sitting back, you know, swirling pina coladas over here. That ain't going to work. So now at least the best teams will play each other with no no threat of being eliminated, but they're going to be high-intensity games to where now, yeah, they can control where they end up in the seeding chart. So I like the concept. I think it's well done. I think it takes into consideration the regular season amount that was left, and it gives both the bottom feeders and the top teams a chance to solidify their spot at the top or even get in the playoffs. Nobody's hurt more by this playoff format than the Blues. Not a single team in the league because, and it also includes the pandemic, right? Like, the, And that's something there's nothing the NHL could have done I have about to say this, Colorado but, is yeah. just as impacted as the Blues. Uh, let me explain this, though. Let me explain this. The pandemic took away the Blues' home ice advantage. If the season ended today and you didn't do any of this, well, the took Blue- everybody's home yeah, ice. Nobody has I, I understand, but the Blues literally had home ice advantage throughout the Western Conference playoffs based on where they stand right now. Based on what they've done through 71 games in the regular season, they were the number one seed. Through 71 games, they had earned home ice advantage throughout the Western Conference playoffs thus far. So that's taken away automatically by the pandemic. That is not the NHL's fault. I get that 100%. That's gone, and now you're potentially taking away the number one seed in the Western Conference and playing the worst team that resumes in the postseason because now the NHL is considering a format where they will reseed after the play-in games. So you could get a situation where the Blues in the quote-unquote first round, the real first round of the playoffs, ends up playing the worst team remaining in the postseason if they had that one seed, but if they have three bad games, now they could play the best team that is remaining in the postseason after those play-in games. They're the team that's hurt the most by this out of anybody in the Western Conference. So for me in St. Louis, and I know it can't be 100% fair, I view that as particularly unfair to them. Do you know how to fix that? Don't have three bad games. Play better. I'm just saying. Like, how do you think the St. Louis Blues and Craig Berube are going to approach this? Woe is me, poor us. No, we know how they're going to approach it. They're going to approach it as we're going to win every single round robin game, solidify ourselves at the top, and we're going to go right to, marching straight down here to the Stanley Cup, grab it, and down Market Street again. That's the way they're going to be thinking. I'm well, with you, but if they have three bad games, they're penalized. Well, Sorry, Alex. Well, and I was going to say, and who's saying that the number one seed going into after the play-in games is the best position to be in? That's right. I mean, you're going to be taking on a team that feels like they're the underdog. Let's say the Blackhawks get that last seed, the play and you're playing that team. Well, then you got to deal with Chicago being pissed off against playing St. Louis, and they feel like they're the underdogs. Nobody believes in them. The number one seed might be the worst position to be in going into the postseason. So that's interesting. I I've been thinking your- about that, too, is how some teams might strategically not right. play well based upon the results of the lower tiers. So I wanted to ask you guys this because I'm not a hockey guy. You guys are both hockey guys. Oh, no, you seem to be hockey guy today. <laughs> I'm playoff guy. I'm all in on the, the schematics of what the guy. playoff looks like. I'm in on that, and I don't like the way this looks for the Blues. And I get it. A lot of people on the text line are going to disagree with me. I know both of you disagree with me. I get that entirely. But I would be curious, who do you want to see the Blues play? Like, if you could pick your team that they could play in the postseason, because basically everybody like is the up first for round? Grabs. Yes. After the play-in games, you have the choice of Edmonton, Nashville, Vancouver, Calgary, and then Winnipeg, Minnesota, Arizona, Chicago. Those eight teams, the Blues conceivably could play any of them because it could be a reseeding. It could be a typical bracket format, and we don't know where they're going to finish between one and four. Any of those could be in play for the Blues. Honestly, Rivs, and I don't know about you, 
him listing those names, they could beat any of them. 100%. Yeah, they could, yeah. but who do you want to see the most out of any of those? It's tough. Uh, yeah. Look, I I like an opponent that matches up well to the Blues style. So it, what I answer may not be the lowest bracket team. It yeah, might right. be somebody higher than that. I do like the Blues against the Winnipeg Jets. Yep. Uh, very much so. The Winnipeg Jets are thin on defense. They've played well. Hellebuck has been great this year. However, I think the Blues in a playoff series grind the heck out of them right into the ground and take that series. So I'd like to see Winnipeg and I'd like to see Chicago. Yeah, I really would. I don't think Chicago has the manpower to deal with what the Blues have. Their, their only manpower that they truly have is aging guys who once did it before, which can be dangerous. However... Corey Crawford, you know, who knows where he's going to be with it. And their defense is, is a yeah. so-so thing again where the Blues, with their puck possession skills. To me, Chicago, Winnipeg, I would love to see those. If you want ease, I think Calgary's the team for you. And I'm not saying ease that they're Ooh, an easy team to get they by. Scare they, they scare me. They scare me. But their goaltending is not good. I, I was talking to a Blues right. fan last night that said the Arizona Coyotes are the team that scares him because yeah. of the way that they play, they play against the Blues. Went to overtime or shootout yeah. nearly every game in the regular season. I just, you know what, I'd rather not have to play a Kachuk, if possible. <laughs> I'm not joking. Well, can we take on Brady Kachuk instead? Even him. I'm telling you. I know Ottawa's not very good right now, but right. I, that, that Calgary team scares me because they have youth, and they've got some guys with a lot of fire in their belly, and, you know, Their sometimes that can be dangerous. Though. Yeah. Out of all of them. Vegas has set the lines. The favorites right now, there's three co-favorites according to Caesars out in Vegas. The Bruins, Knights, and the Lightning are the co-favorites to win the Stanley Cup at 6-1. to one. The Avalanche are next at 8-1. to one. And then it's the Blues listed right now at 9-1 to one in Vegas to win the Stanley Cup championship. So they are fifth in Vegas, first in our hearts, nah. and I believe they should be first in the standings regardless of how this stupid round-robin thing goes. I I will say this as well. Final thing that I wanted to get to here. I agree wholeheartedly with Danny Mac. Given the fact that there is no home ice advantage this year, the fact that you're going to have to restart after, what is it going to be at that point, four months off of hockey, the fact that all of these teams are going to basically be cold and have to get up to a zero to 100 real fast, I think this shouldn't have a poor asterisk next to it. I think this should actually be considered one of the more difficult Stanley Cups that you've had to win in recent years. Alongside Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kiley. I'm going to be the one that you yell at throughout the course of the show today. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service sex line. That's the place that you can get involved in the show. Coming up next, Major League Baseball continue, continues following, falling all over itself, just as I did over this tease. And I don't understand how we arrived to this place. We're going to yell at him next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Not a shock. Uh, you know, that's that's what my reaction to it. Acrimony goes hand in hand with their negotiations, and it doesn't seem to be the case with other leagues and other unions, and, and baseball is famous for it. And I'm not taking a particular side in any of this, but this is how this is how it works. I think it's terrible the way it works, but it is how it has worked. Alongside former Blues defenseman Jamie Rivers, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. Coming up here in about 10 minutes or so, we will talk about this very subject with Mark Saxon of The Athletic. That was Carl Ravitch of ESPN talking about how Major League Baseball and the MLBPA have always negotiated this way. Jamie? 
Yesterday, we got our first view of Major League Baseball's proposal to the players, and it went pretty much as we all expected that it would. I'm going to try to break it's this like a down. Fart in church, uh, not good. That's never good. That's actually a better way to break it down than I was going That's a to. Great comparison. Uh, I'm going to make. I'm going to try to break this down as simply as I can. But basically, it is a sliding scale. That would depend on how much money you make. If you make more money this year as a player, you end up making less percentage-wise than the players that make less money. So, as an example, someone who makes $35 million a year, say uh, Bryce Harper, Mike, Mike Trout, those types of guys, you would end up making roughly $8 million this year. Oh, boy. If I'm you sure were a player that. that was going to be scheduled to make about $20 million this year, now you're going to make around five. And if you're someone who was supposed to make $1 million this year, now you're going to make around $450,000. So it, basically we're talking about anybody that's making more than $5 million a year would get about half of what was already their halved salary, their prorated salary. So about 25% of what they were supposed to be paid for a 162-game schedule. And it actually somehow gets even worse than that if you look at the lower-level players. Because yesterday my initial reaction is, oh, they're trying to divide and conquer. They're doing what a lot of owners do in these negotiations where, Jamie, you've been a part of these. Uh You look at the top players and you say, we're going to try to take that top salary and smash it down. But those guys at the bottom, eh, you're just going to be left the same. You're still going to make your $400,000. Yeah, because we want your vote. That's the majority of the players. It's about 60% of all players make roughly the minimum, around $500,000 to a million dollars. And then I saw this um, from ESPN. Apparently, what you're going to be looking at is not a situation where the players would actually get their full salary at that lower level. So the player that would make about $550 million or $50,000 this year, that's the minimum, would actually make $262,000 under this proposal. It's even worse when you look at it into it even further. They're already going to receive $275,000 because of that payroll advance that Mm -hmm. they talked about in March. So by coming back and playing, the minimum salary player would actually only make $150,000 this year. So what he was supposed to get, $550,000, has now become $150,000 in getting because he played baseball. (laughs) So uh, to make a long story short... This is a non-starter. Players are not going to sign up for whatever it is that the uh, owners decided to propose yesterday. It's a bad faith negotiation by even putting this on the table. Jamie, I know you're not happy about it either. No, what? I mean, baseball, get your head out of your ass. Like, come (laughs) on, man. Like, seriously. You have a, a, the NHL comes out with a positive message. And, yeah, they don't have all the answers. And I know they're not affected financially right now because they've been paid their last paycheck. We talked to Ken Campbell yesterday. Their last paycheck is actually being held in escrow for the fact that they might give it back to the owners to help with the revenue sharing model that they have. But... This is ridiculous. The owners come. This is the owners basically saying you're good. The only way we play baseball is if we do it by our rules. Yep. And you know you can say what you want about the players for, you know, hey, they're being greedy and they're oh they're millionaires. You're talking about losing a significant amount of your money, and never mind the big guys. Okay, like you said, the little guys, five hundred grand. He's coming back making what two hundred and less than a, it's one hundred fifty thousand dollars. One hundred and fifty thousand dollars is what he'd be paid to play, basically. So let me let me just break that down to people at home because like, well, it's one hundred and fifty thousand. Okay, I played for that. 
when I broke in the league, and you have a home, let's say here in St. Louis that you have to live in while you're playing. You have a home where you're from, so let's say baseball player X is from Arizona, so he has there's two homes right there. Now let's let's not forget the government already has taken about half of that. And now let's and say you pay taxes in every place that you play. And by the way, Major League Baseball play. wants to play in every city this year as much as they can. You have agent fees, you have internet, you have electricity, you have uh, you, you laugh. Yeah. Trust me, by the time you're done, you have nothing. You're almost getting a job during the offseason to make ends meet with this proposal. Listen, I'm not crying it's poor dumb. for the players, but at the same time, we're talking about billionaires who are taking this away. And the A's yesterday lost all goodwill that they could have potentially had. Oh God, the owners yeah. have done a really good job thus far of controlling the narrative and basically saying it's the players that don't want to go back out there and play. And yes, it's because of the money that they don't want to go back out there. So they've done a really good job of making the players look greedy. And then the A's did this yesterday. They announced that professional scouts are going to be furloughed starting next week. Amateur scouts are going to be furloughed starting after the June 10th draft. So you can do your job up until the draft. Once we don't need you, you're gone. And then you're done for the rest of the year. About three-fourths of all of the A's development staff is about to get furloughed. They're minor league players. This was the big one have been informed that they are no longer going to be paid the $400 per week that they were promised after the end of this month. $400 $400 a week for minor leaguers. So what are these guys supposed to do now? Get jobs. Yeah. I like, mean, I'm not being a jerk, but it's just like the job. lower level guys in the East Coast Hockey League and all that stuff. They get summer jobs. They can't just live off of what they make. Heck, the NHL players used to do that yeah. back in the day. I mean, I know Bobby used to talk about the fact that he would play hockey and then in the summertime he'd have a job. Well, you'd have to, for sure. Even when I first started coming in, you'd have hockey camps or something that you were doing to make a few extra bucks. But here's the problem I have with it all is the owners are doing this sliding scale or whatever they want to call it, escalation, whatever, okay? Yep. We have yet to see the owner's books. So what they're basing all of this model off of is that they're losing all this money. You know what? Maybe they are. And maybe this model is the right idea. But the players aren't going to trust that, would you? I wouldn't. I'd want to see the books. You guys tell me that this is the only model that works. That's fine. For the one time. In our history, as a league and players union, let's open them up. Let's see. You show me where you're losing all these millions or billions of dollars, and now I can go back to my players and go, you know what, guys, this we're in a really bad spot here. The owners have showed me what, what's on the books for them, and if we don't work with them, baseball's really going to suffer. Or, guess what, then the owners show the books, it's not so bad, Now I go, okay. So that was obviously, you threw out a bomb to start it off with this, but now we know the difference. So why don't we go, mm, I don't know, like another 25% on top of this. Let's let's bump it up a little bit. So you know why I don't believe the owners? Because while we're talking about this for baseball, and the owners are saying every extra game that we play is going to cost us more money. We're not actually making money from any of these games. We're actually losing money by playing the season, which seems crazy. But while that's happening... The NBA and NHL are fighting tooth and nail to get as many teams as possible to play as many games as possible to earn the most money possible. Mm -hmm. So you're telling me that those leagues make more money by playing more games with more teams involved. Meanwhile, you've got the MLB over here suggesting that if they even come back to play baseball, they're going to lose money with every game that they play. 
it, it doesn't make any sense. Meanwhile, Major League Baseball has massive TV deals, both locally and nationally, that they can lean on. And these other te- these other leagues, specifically the NHL, doesn't have that. They do rely a lot on the attendance. So if any league was going to be doing what the MLB is suggesting that is going to happen to them, it should be the NHL. But they're the league that's coming back and saying, we need 24 teams in the playoffs because we got to get as many of these games in as possible mm-hmm. to get as much revenue as possible in these games. It, it, it's laughable. It's laughable what Major League Baseball is trying to sell to its audience. Okay, we got a couple of texts here that I want to address. Uh, from the 618 says, owners don't have to show the books, Jamie. They're the owners. Okay, you're right, but the owners are suggesting that they're losing money. They're lying outright to the players' faces. So if that's the case and the players don't have to believe what they're telling them just because they're the owners, I mean, if you're going to manipulate someone's salary, there has to be just cause. And the just cause in this situation would be that the company is hemorrhaging all that money and the percentage coming out would have to be what the players earn. That's called business 101. So right now, the owners haven't provided anything to show that they're going to have to make this massive pay cut. Secondly, here, uh, we have another one. Rivs, I hear your point, but very few people will feel bad at all for millionaires that don't have anything in savings. You can't afford your multiple houses? Come on, boo freaking who? It's just like anything else. Let's, let's, Let's take away from the fact that these are baseball players. Let's call them doctors. And they've studied, and they've gone to school, and they've done everything they can, and they've provided for their family, and they have a house. And then all of a sudden, the medical industry says, yeah, you're not allowed to make what you make. We're going to give you 25% of what you make. What happens to that doctor's house? What happens to that doctor's kid's college education that he's been tucking away money for? Is it just because he's a doctor? Boo, freaking who? You've made your money? Doesn't work that way. If you're the best in your profession, no matter what it is, you deserve to be paid accordingly unless there's crazy situation like a pandemic. And at that point, that's when the book's got to open up so everybody stays afloat. The one piece of optimism that I would say for baseball fans, if you're a Cardinals fan right now and you want a little bit of optimism on an Optimism Wednesday, we'll say this. It's the first part of the negotiation. And well, sometimes they're, when they're you get, sucking at this part. <laughs> sometimes when you get into these things, as we get closer to whatever the deadline is, and we'll talk about that with Saxy, Mark Saxon, coming up here in just a moment. I don't know what the deadline is at this point. It seems like it's fungible depending on who you listen to. But once you get closer to that, we will have a better idea of where we actually are on these negotiations. Alongside former Blues defenseman Jamie Rivers, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Ribs and BK. Mark Saxon of The Athletic is going to join us next to talk about these negotiations and how likely it is that we are going to see a baseball season. He joins us next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. He's Jamie Rivers. I'm Brandon Kiley. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. Let's go out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line, where we are happy to be joined by Cardinals insider for The Athletic, Mark Saxon. Saxy, how you doing today, man? I'm doing fantastic, BK. I'd be doing a little better if the sun were out. I could take the dog for a walk or hit a couple golf balls. But otherwise, I'm I'm hanging in there as we wait for this uh, kind of gloominess to to ease. So I hear you uh, you went on a little bit of a golf trip yesterday. How'd that go for you? That was beautiful. I uh, I did pick the wrong course to walk, though. Have you ever heard of Ann Briar across the river in Illinois? Tough course to walk. There was. From green to tea, one of them had to be at least a mile. I swear to God, I was I was sweating 
uh, profusely by the time I got to the next tee, I can tell you that. Well, on the plus side, Mark, you haven't had to travel for the last two months <laughs> or so, so you've got that going for you. On the downside, we haven't been able to watch baseball, and that's where I wanted to get with you today. The hell did you make of Ma- Major League Baseball owners' proposal to the players yesterday? What are we supposed to make of this? Well, I guess they've eased off the revenue sharing, the split, the straight, you know, 50-50 split. Um, but it sounds like, you know, the players aren't exactly thrilled with this initial, um, you know, proposal. But the good news is it sounds like there's kind of a drop-dead date of sometime mid to, you know, early to mid-June, maybe June 10th kind of area, because they do have to get these camps started fairly soon if we're going to be playing in July. So there's plenty of time to get it worked out. And usually at the beginning of these negotiations, it's really ugly. And then they just kind of get to work and start hammering it out. I I can't imagine, you know, these two sides aren't motivated to get something done. You got to think that it'll happen, but I guess we've been surprised in a negative sense before. So we'll just have to see, but I I do feel pretty good about it getting done. All right, Saxy. I don't feel very good about this getting done. I mean, well, you're a former player, so you have a different perspective. (laughs) But look, yesterday the NHL takes the podium, and uh, Gary Bettman goes through his whole thing, and and it looks very positive. The NHL taking steps in the right direction. We'll just call it that steps in the right direction. Uh, The public opinion on it very high of how it's been handled. Public opinion on baseball, who, you know, they, they couldn't just stay quiet for the day. They had to drop this stuff on us. And it just seems like it's getting worse. Every time there's communication from the two sides, I just feel like both the players and the owners are just out of touch with reality right now and what their fan base is truly going through. I think I think there's some truth to that. I think in maybe even, you know, deeper than that in terms of why there's this strife, they're, they're out of touch with each other. Um, the, the players don't trust the owners at all at this point, and, and there's a lot of reason for that. If you look at the way you know they've hired front offices to be ultra efficient and and you know to, to get max value out of contracts now, so you're you're seeing players squeezed on the front end of their careers, um, and, and you're seeing them squeezed now on the back end of their careers. Really, when guys reach thirty, they're not. They're very rarely are they getting these big extensions. So there's so much you know distrust or mistrust among the player side that I think that's what the owners are dealing with. And so when they, when they start a negotiation seemingly in a, in a very kind of rigid place, which is what it looks like, the player's reaction, of course, is going to be very negative. And so we'll see, you've got to think that the owners will be feeling pressure from politicians, from us, from media, from, from fans to get the teams back on the field. It's on them to do it. So, you know, you got to think they'll move, but I agree with you. There's not a lot of um, love loss between the two sides right now, Jamie. Okay, so Saxy, this this uh, this what escalation? So this scale payment that they're talking sliding, scale, sliding yeah. scale payment. I went over this with BK in the last segment, and I just asked a question: How can you have a sliding scale? when you don't know what the other side is truly making for money? Because what is that sliding scale based upon then? If you're talking about revenues coming in, then yes, you have a sliding scale to show just how much money you can pay people in order to still be an operational business. But if you don't know what the owners are bringing in, this sliding scale seems kind of crazy, and I can see why the players are probably a little miffed at it. Yeah, and you can find out why You know that's a good indication, a good glimpse into why they're miffed You know, every time. 
you know, these negotiations are happening, these collective bargaining negotiations, because they really don't have any insight into the, they can't see the players' books. Nobody can. They're closed. So, you know, that's a big problem. And I think transparency is important in these talks, and we'll see if there's ever any movement toward that. But the owners have been, like, adamant about about keeping that part that way. So that would seem to be a hill that they're willing to die on. But I agree, like, until until both sides have all the information, it's really hard to know whether they're getting a good deal. and They're, they're going to feel like they're kind of gypped or ripped off in all these negotiations until they do have a better sense of that. Cardinals insider for The Athletic, Mark Saxon, joining us here on Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. I, I did want to ask you about that drop-dead date that you were talking about, Saxy, because it, it seems like it fluctuates depending on who you're listening to on any given day. I mean, I've, I've seen June 1st. I've seen June 10th. I think that we saw at first there was going to be that two-week quarantine, and now I, I think there's questions as to whether or not that's going to have to happen for players. Is there actually a drop-dead date? And uh, kind of as a secondary question off of that, a follow-up question, if you will, if the owners believe that they're going to be losing money on every game, do they really have any incentive to follow on that 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 deadline of a date? Well, I think the incentive, BK, comes from, you know, pressure they're feeling to get something going for the benefit of the league. I mean, if if this thing falls apart because they're haggling over money, that's not a good look for this sport, especially as you guys have been referencing with the NHL and NFL and, and NBA you know, talking about playing again. If they can't get it done and, and put something on the field, that's going to be a colossal disaster for this game, and they'll have no one to blame but themselves. And I think the reason it's sort of frustrating, BK, to sort of follow all this stuff is it's so dynamic, as is our understanding of this virus. It's going to change week to week as we learn about cases, as we learn about protocols. Those are going to be shifting Dates will be shifting, but again, the pressure is to get something on the field, and I think if you don't start in July, it's going to be very tough because we don't know what the fall is going to look like, and I think that's why you're looking at some kind of deadline because you're going to need at least close to three weeks of spring training so that pitchers aren't getting hurt early in the season because they're not built up. So you do need a three-week spring training. And in order to do that, it's got to be right around mid-June or we're not going to be playing in, in early July, as they said. So the whole thing, again, is very frustrating. Let's hope they can get the financial piece done so they can work harder on the health protocols and get them airtight. And then there really could be some semblance of a season. And I think that would make all of us happy at this point. Final question for Mark Saxon of The Athletic here on Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. Saxy, in your uh, recent questions and answers or your uh, mailbag that you wrote on The Athletic, you were asked about both Nolan Arenado and Francisco Lindor and how this pandemic affects the Cardinals' potential ability to acquire either of those two players. In your opinion, how does this affect their ability to acquire one of those two? You know, I think we just have to look at, you know, in the, in the, in the last off season, there was virtually no appetite to add any salary. Right. And, and at this point with no gate, potentially all season, this is a team that draws very, very well. Do they have a good media rights deal as well? Yeah. They have a good one. Do they have a great one? No, they don't have a Dodgers deal. They don't have a Yankees deal. So they're going to be hurting. I mean, losing a gate for a team that draws 3 million in a place, you know, like this with this kind of fan base, is really going to hit them hard, and they're still paying on their stadium. So I just don't see a lot of appetite to take on 
forget about Nolan Arenado's thirty-five million dollars per year, the seventeen million that that Lindor is making in arbitration. So it just becomes a very complicated scenario, and I think they'd have to move money, and that's tough. Going to be very tough to do. You're going to see, I think, more teams wanting to move salary than take it on, and so I. To me, it all falls into the financial category at this point. Neither one, to me, seems likely. And again, I, that is not inside information. That's just from everything I've seen in terms of how they've acted in recent seasons. He's Mark Saxon. You can read his work on The Athletic. You can give him a follow on Twitter, at Mark A. Saxon, and you can find him here on 101 ESPN frequently as well. Saxon, we always appreciate the time, man. All the best to you and your family. Great talking to you guys. Same to you. You're the best. That's Mark Saxon joining us here on Ribs and BK. With Jamie Rivers, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up next, it's time for questions and answers. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line, and I've got a quick story for Jamie Rivers on the other side as well. We'll do it all on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. With Jamie Rivers, I'm Brandon Kylie. Questions and answers, 65780 is their comfort service text line to get your questions in. Let's start with this one, Jamie. I'm not a fan of this NHL playoffs. I believe it's unfair to the teams that normally would have made the playoffs of the top 16 teams overall. My question would be, if the Blues were to get knocked out of the playoffs, do you think it would hurt more if it's by those bottom eight that are in the play-in series or if it's in a typical playoff scenario where they advance past the first round and then play one of the better teams. Do you think it changes anything for you, Jamie? Well, here's the deal, right? It hurts no matter what if the Blues get eliminated. No matter how they get eliminated, no matter who eliminates them, it always it always is going to hurt. You know what my answer is going to be to that one, right? Play better. That's it. I'm sorry. It is. Yeah. Don't lose to those teams. I mean, if, if anything has been taught to us by Craig Berube, and the St. Louis Blues in the past calendar year, it's that there are no excuses. Absolutely none. No matter if you're playing the best team or the worst team, what they expect out of themselves is the best performance. If that's the case, then they should win the games. And if they don't play to their top potential and they lose, that's on them. So guess what, boys? You control your own destiny. I think it would hurt worse if you get close to the cup again and lose just because you can taste it at that point right it, I, I don't think it's going to have anything to do with whether or not the team should have or shouldn't have made it into the postseason it's possible like a team like the Blackhawks for instance right I, I don't think they're gonna go on a run but it is no I'm fine with using them because I don't really view them as a threat <laughs> sure so let's, let's go down that path right it's conceivable that a team in that situation that would not have otherwise made the playoffs could go on a little bit of a run and suddenly uh-huh. they're in the Western Conference finals it's possible that that could happen so whether it's them or the avalanche whoever it is if you end up losing in the western conference finals it's going to hurt worse because you could feel it you were right there on the on the doorstep of making it to another potential stanley cup final and going back to back so it it, in my opinion it always hurts worse the closer that you get to winning that title yeah but the format that they have right now once they get it all settled it's going to be a regular format. Do you know what I mean? Sure. Like you're going. So at that point, you get to the Western Conference Final. At that point, it's just like it would have been last year, the year before, the year before. Absolutely. So once again, it's on you as a team to just dial it in and play in the moment hockey. And again, I'm going to sound like a broken record here, but Craig Ruby is the master of keeping these guys in the moment and focused. To me, what's going to hurt the most is not those games, but if you end up 
if they do, like I said in the beginning, and this is not me harping on the the round robin again. But oh my it, god! I, I do think it would hurt the most if you end up struggling out of the gates. Yeah. Maybe you're trying to reimplement uh, Tarasenko, and it doesn't go as well as you mm-hmm. would expect it to, right? And so you get off to a slow start. You go zero and three on those first three games in the round robin. You end up as the four seed instead of the one, and the team that you play that's the five seed in this scenario is really hot. They played really well in that play-in scenario, and they end up beating you in that case. So that, I think that's what would maybe hurt if you're looking at how the actual scenario that is in place because of the pandemic, how but that could make ultimately, it Ultimately, they control their own destiny, right? doesn't matter how the playoffs are set up, what format, what teams get in. You, the the hockey club, control your destiny. So it's up to you to do the job. That's it. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. Hey, Jamie, this one comes from the 314. Do you like the fact that families are probably going to be allowed to be with their with these players in the quarantine? Well, yeah. I mean, of course I do. If, if uh, they have to go off for X amount of weeks or X amount of months, then... Yeah, it's going to be great to have the families there. Do I think it adds a layer of problems? Yeah, I definitely think things get way more complicated because not only do players get bored and, you know, want to go do things and get kind of sick of this quarantine life. Well, so do wives. So do girlfriends. So do children. So do parents. I mean, who knows who they're bringing in quarantine here? And now you have different elements that are adding stress to the situation. And I don't mean like stressful, like it's a bad thing. Quarantine itself is just stressful. So the more you pile onto the plate, I think that's more to take care of. So uh, I like that the families will be able to go with the guys. It will give them a more, uh, more of a sense of being at home, that, that little bubble of, of family. But I do, I'm anxious to see how the league will handle the excess number of people and how that quarantine will work and, and all that whole dynamic. I'll be really interested to see that as well. It gets to me, and maybe I'm wrong here, but I think it will get easier for the league the further that this goes on. And that may sound kind of opposite of what you would expect, but the longer you go, the fewer teams are going to be there. So by virtue of that, the fewer people will be there. Mm-hmm. So once you get past the play-ins and the first round, you're going to be left with, what, a four teams at that point? And you have in, cut it into a sixth of what it was at the beginning of this quarantine. So the hardest part, in a weird way, is actually going to be at the very beginning whenever they get started because you've just got more people that you have to have under control. I was listening to a podcast yesterday with Adrian Wojnarowski and Zach Lowe, and they were talking about this for the NBA. They basically said, like, listen, the difficult part is that you are only as strong in this bubble system as whoever the weakest link is. Yeah, yeah. Because if that person goes off of the reservation and they're the guy that is going out and doing whatever at night, right? They're going to bring any of that back with them potentially. And so if something were to change overnight and they go from a negative test to what is a carrier by the morning, that's when you're going to have these real issues. So the beginning of this could actually, in a weird way, be the hardest part and not the easiest part. I agree. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line for questions and answers. I didn't want to tell one quick story to you, Jamie. Yeah, you text us. First of all, let's set the stage. Last night we have our group text and we get a picture uh, sent to us of your girlfriend, Kara, who looks like she is bobbing for strawberries. Not sure, examining a bowl of strawberries, bobbing for strawberries, (laughs) dissecting strawberries. I don't know. And all I know is that underneath, (laughs) underneath it says, I've got a story for tomorrow. So that being said, let's hear it. Okay, so yesterday I get home um, after picking up dinner for us, 
And Kara has watched a video. And you know how this goes. Sometimes people watch a video that's like bordering on conspiracy theory. And they're like all in on it all of a sudden. But they watched it to freak themselves out, right? So Kara does this with a video about strawberries, which seems strange. She's like, hey, did you know that worms can live inside of the strawberry? And the only way to get that worm out of the strawberry is by dumping them into a big bowl for 30 minutes of salt water. Oh, boy. <laughs> like, oh, no, no way. I, I haven't heard this. Oh, yeah. no. You're too smart for this. <laughs> Come honey. on. And so I was like, I, I was unaware. I had no idea that strawberries all these years oh, that boy. I was eating uh, have worms inside of them. She's like, yeah. And sometimes you can actually have like centipedes inside of them as well. I just watched a video on all of this. It's like, Kara, there's there's no way this is true. She's like, I, we we literally earlier that night I got a, a box of strawberries. Her, her mom brought them home. One of her coworkers had just went to T's farm to grab some for us. So we had strawberries, and she was like, I I have to check. I, I can't eat those strawberries without oh looking. So for 30 minutes, she is sitting on the couch, and I've got this uh, picture up on my Twitter account at BK Sports Talk on Twitter. Just looking into this big bowl with salt water and strawberries. Spoiler alert, there were no worms no, in the really? after the fact. Now our strawberries taste like salt. Oh, uh, yeah, exactly. Yikes. This can't be true, right? No. There's no, no way this is there real. There are worms inside of strawberries, and there are centipedes that get inside of strawberries. Absolutely. But you can tell that they're in there. There's a hole. They, <laughs> yeah, they're right. not born inside the strawberry. The, those are the strawberries that aren't picked. Those are the ones that are dropped on the yeah. ground and smashed into the dirt. My Six, five, seven, eight. Zero is the air comfort service tax slide. The fast lane does teach us Tuesday. Can you confirm this is wrong Wednesday for us? Because I need to know for sure that this is wrong because it seems very wrong. Yeah. Alongside Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Rivers and BK on 101 ESPN. Coming up next, we'll take the pulse of Chris Kerber on what the uh, Blues could look like in this postseason format. What's he think about the 2014 playoff? We'll get that with Chris Kerber next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. I think for the integrity of the game, I think the reseeding makes it not more legitimate because anytime you have to, to win best of sevens, it, it, you know, you're legitimized. But I think the reseeding format brings the most integrity. So I would absolutely go for that, put more emphasis on that, on that uh, round robin yep. of the top four teams. I mean, it, it just does. Alongside Jamie Rivers, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's 12.05. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. That was Darren Pang, who you're going to hear tonight on Behind the Bench with Chris Kerber. That starts at 6 o'clock. You can hear that each and every Wednesday night. You can also hear Chris Kerber right now, the voice of the Blues on Twitter, at Chris Kerber. Joins us on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Kerbs, what's going on, man? BK, doing fine. How are you? Uh, doing well. So let's start with the big news from yesterday. The NHL announces their playoff format. It's going to be 24 teams. The Blues are a part of a round robin to start things off with the top four teams in the Western Conference. What did you think of the format once you saw it finalized? Uh, I, I think the reasoning is solid. I think what they did is strong. I, I, I think the why they did it makes sense. Um I, I think it's as fair as they could make it uh, without being ridiculous. So I, I, I think all in all, the work by the uh, return to play committee, which involves some current players, a couple of uh, players that are just off the ice, and then the folks from the league, I think they did a really strong job of putting together 
a plan that can work. And, and what this does, BK, is it gives them a plan now to focus on. So if we get back to play, this is what we're going to do. Those seven teams that aren't going to play, they know they're done. They move on with their other planning. The other ones, they know they're involved. They know what's going to be coming. They can plan accordingly as well. That's going to be all part of the return-to-play process. The planning is important, and I think they did the best they can. Now, I also think that you got to keep in mind here, and I don't want to rain on anybody's, you know, day because they're already getting rained on here in town, but uh, there's still a lot that has to happen. And, and, you know, so I I think it's great to to go through and be excited about. I, I think without a shred of doubt, it shows how bad, the league wants to get back to playing and, and to what extent they'll do so, you know, but other factors still had to come into play though. And, and I, and I believe the players, there's some players that I've reached out to that kind of feel that way. Like, Hey, there's, there's still some hurdles that have to be overcome. So uh, it's a good step in the right direction though. I am curious curves because the, the part of this that I am still lukewarm on, and I'll be honest, I'm not a huge fan of it is the round robin, the part where the Blues are going to be playing in at first between the top four teams in the Western Conference to decide the seeding between those four. I get the need to have those games while the lower seeds are playing. I get that entirely. I just don't love penalizing the Blues after they've been in first place for 71 games now and having to play now for one of the four top seeds. What did you think of the format for the return to play in the top four seeds with that round robin? Well, take a look at the standings. And the St. Louis Blues were only up by, what, one or two points over Colorado. And the Blues had 11 games to go. Colorado had 12. So the reality of it is, is if Colorado played one more game and won that game and they both stopped at 71, Colorado would have the top spot in the Western Conference. Um, You know, and, yeah, there's a little bit more of a drop-off when you get to Las Vegas and, and Dallas. But I still think you have to earn it in this case and it gives the blues a chance to get back to some competition with something to play for and to continue to earn it so look i I think the boston bruins would have a much larger beef than the st louis blues they had an eight point lead over the the, the next team in there but but look i mean colorado if if you just said well it's because of this st louis is then going to be the number one seed no matter what colorado you know in vegas would have the beef well wait a minute what if we caught them you know and and there was still time to do that so uh, again, I don't think anything's going to be perfectly fair, but I just think that the process that they went through and what they came up with definitely is one that, that shows that it was thought out and, and reasonable. And, and I think that's what you have to go on. And look, in all honesty, I think anybody's going to be able to, to shoot holes in any of these plans, frankly, from any of the leagues. They're going to be able to shoot holes in whatever Major League Baseball comes up with, whatever the NBA does. You know, whatever whatever is being done. I mean, NASCAR, stopping the race for, you know, they could all fit at the same time kind of thing. Like, all, all these different things. Um, at that point, I just think of being critical to be critical because I, I just, I, I think if you really look at it, you know, I, I, if you're the St. Louis Blues, I don't think they're going to have any problem saying, all right, so we got to continue to earn something. That's just the way it is, and they're going to play it. And I, I really do think that they've done the best they can with what they're looking at. Yeah, Curbs, I agree. Um, and, and to dive into a different direction here, is it's obviously well known that the, the players' union and the owners, it's been a very rocky relationship over the years with a number of lockouts that have happened. Gary Bettman has been public enemy number one at times. Now, the NHL trending in the right direction the last handful of years with their revenues, with their TV deals. Now they come out 
ahead of some of their other major sports, their comp- their competitors, and they present a unified plan to where it looks like both sides have really done a good job of getting together and working as a team. How important is that for the NHL to have that look of, hey, we're the owners and the players, we're in this together and we want to get this back on the ice where some of the other sports, let's be honest, they're still battling head to head. Yeah, Jamie, in all honesty, I don't know how much that matters right now. What It matters that they, that they put a return to play committee together and had input of current players on how to do it. Uh, I and, and that part, I think, matters. I don't know how much it matters in terms of the public opinion poll aspect of it because, look, there's still some nitty-gritty that has to get through. You know, they've got to figure out how escrow is going to work uh, the rest of this season. They have to figure out how the escrow part of the CBA is going to work into next season. And don't forget the CBA would be up and due after next season, and now we are dealing with a complete unknown economically that really changes the numbers. And as you said, that continued to trend up. Well, now there's basically like a market correction. And I think that's how you have to look at it. Um, Are the players going to like it? No. But I didn't like it when I had to sell my house in 2009 and the bottom fell out of the market. I just had to deal with it. But if you want to play in a market system, that's what you deal with. And in this case, the market's going to change because of COVID-19. I think you're going to see some cracks in that armor. It'd be be unrealistic to think that you wouldn't see some cracks in that armor and that togetherness when you get down into the nitty-gritty of those kind of negotiations. The biggest difference that the NHL has over, the end, over say, Major League Baseball right now is the NHL had played all but 189 games total of their season. And the NHL decided we're playing the players in full for the rest of the way. They didn't blink on that. So the players are trying to decide what they do with escrow, their, that, that last paycheck with escrow, but the teams have paid it. Right, so so for well, they will pay. They, I mean, the checks will go once they make that decision on what to do with it. Having said that, Major League Baseball is in a situation where no paychecks had gone out; their season hadn't started yet, so they're dealing with those negotiations on the front end. Those kind of negotiations are going to really impact the, the this scenario going into next season. So, uh, again, I, I'm not sure the NHL is completely out of clear on this if you look at it uh, just with completely objective eyes. We're talking with Chris Kerber here, voice of the Blues, and uh, we're talking about the NHL coming out with a plan, at least the playoff format. And Kerbs, looking at this playoff format, what advantages do you think the Blues can, can have in this? And I know that they, there's going to be disadvantages and there's going to be you know different factors that come into it, but what's one thing that you would deem to be an advantage for the Blues coming off of this long layoff and then headed into the playoffs? I really, truly believe that the character and closeness of the St. Louis Blues, and then I would say the same thing about the Boston Bruins, has got to be an advantage for this group. The fact that these two teams went through Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Final last year, the fact that the Blues and the Boston Bruins defended their conference titles as well as anybody has in recent years, I really do believe, Jamie, that that's a factor. The close-knit group, when when Alexander Steen played in his 1,000th game in Winnipeg, and then the team landed back in St. Louis, the entire team jumped in a car, well, their cars, and went over Toby Clark's and had a celebratory toast for Alexander Steen. Just pretty much everybody was there. 
couple broadcasters were there. It was kind enough to, to be invited to say, come along, right? And, uh, and, and, and it just shows the closeness of this group. And to see Robert Thomas and Sammy Blay kind of sitting at the table, you know, with, with, with the veteran players. And, and you sat back literally and just watched this, you know, and going, man, this, this group has something. And, and I, I think that when they're able to get back together as a group, it's going to feel like they didn't lose anything, and they're going to be ready to go. I think the St. Louis Blues, and I hope I'm right on this, because of that and then because of the nature of this coaching staff, I think they're going to be ready to go as much as anybody, and, and, and they'll be just as hungry as everybody. I, I think that's that's a huge benefit to the St. Louis Blues. We certainly hope you're right, Curbs. He's the voice of the Blues. You can hear him on 101 ESPN throughout the week and tonight specifically behind the bench with Chris Kerber coming up at 6 o'clock. You can hear that each and every Wednesday night. Curbs, you're the best man. We appreciate the time today. All right, boys, have some fun, and uh, we'll, we'll we'll be talking a lot about this as it gets going. It's kind of exciting. You better believe it, man. We'll talk to you soon. That's Chris Kerber joining us yeah. here on Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. I want to talk about that for a second, about what he just said, the closeness of this team, and maybe even push it forward a little bit with the veteran leadership. I think teams that have good coaching staffs, that have veterans on their squad, and this really applies for any sport. I think this applies for baseball. I think it applies for basketball. I think it will apply in the fall for football. The teams that were already good are going to have a little bit of a leg up over the teams that are trying to develop right now. The teams with a young coaching staff that are trying to implement a culture in in the NFL or later on whenever we get to Major League Baseball, I think those teams are going to have a tougher time because of what this offseason has looked like, because of what this gap has looked like for the NBA and NHL. I do think there's a little bit of an advantage there for the Blues and the NHL. What do you think about that, Jamie? Well, yeah, certainly. Look, it, it, it's well documented here locally anyways that the Blues have had great leadership from the coaching staff to their captains to guys like even like Ryan O'Reilly, who's not a captain but a tremendous leader. And, yeah, you win a championship together, you become closer as a group. And if we really want to rewind it, we go back to – all the heartache that they had at the beginning, right to the middle of the season last year. And then they grew as a team. They grew closer as individuals. And then to have the ultimate success of raising that cup together and having this parade here in St. Louis, those are moments that you never forget. And they really have almost the exact same team. A couple of different pieces, but for the most part, same team. So, yeah, it's a huge advantage to have a, a group of guys that actually care about each other. I played on a lot of teams that were really good. But you didn't always like everybody that walked in the locker room. You did your job, but yeah, you maybe wouldn't go out for beers with them. I don't get that sense here with the Blues. Last couple of years, these guys want to be together. They want to spend time together. They want to share beers. They want to have a meal. They want to invite their families over. That's going to be a huge thing, especially in a time like this where it's unique and it's going to be called upon guys to step up even more, families to step up even more and support the players. This is going to be huge for St. Louis Blues. And they've built those calluses from some of those those adverse times that they've been through together, right? They, they've seen what it looks like at the bottom. They've been through all of that, even this year. Like, they, they were never on the bottom, but they had to play without who a lot of people would argue is their best player in Vladimir mm-hmm. Tarasenko. And they found a way through, and right now, we've been talking about it all day, they were number one in the Western Conference standings. It's incredible what they've been able to do. So you add all of that up and the closeness of the team with veteran leadership and also a co- coach that we all know can get these guys on the same page and get Uh them together moving in the same direction that's the formula that you're going to need to be able to win a cup this year now there's other teams that will hit that and so it's going to be difficult for the blues to ultimately hoist the cup once again we all know that 
But the Blues have the ingredients. If and when they end up getting back on the ice, and I believe it's a win, not an if. Alongside Jamie Rivers, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. We're going to play a game of in or out next on Ribs and BK. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. With Jamie Rivers, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. Let's play a game of in or out. It's a very simple game. Are you in or are you out on this particular scenario? All right. I want you in on this, Ferrario. Let's start with the XFL. Minus Vince McMahon? It's sounding more and more likely that Vince McMahon is out on the XFL, but that does not mean that the league is going to be over for sure. Daniel Kaplan of The Athletic reports that, quote, dozens of bidders are reviewing the league's financial information with the intent on buying the XFL and relaunching it as early as next February. Guys, are you in or out on the XFL if it means no Vince McMahon moving forward? Oh, Hell yeah, I'm in on that. Are you kidding me? That means we're coming back with some Battle Hawks, right? Yes, I'm all in. In fact, I might be more in based on the fact that Vince McMahon isn't a part of it. Agreed. Yeah. Quite honestly, think about it. This guy has screwed it up twice somehow, some way. Give it to somebody who knows what they're doing. The product itself, I thought, was good enough to stand on its own. And just, yeah, get somebody in there who cares about it, wants it. Like, it's not their side gig, you know? Get somebody who puts some excitement into it like there was, who understands the markets to put it in rather than just putting them in big markets. Put them in markets that succeed like Seattle and St. Louis. Hell yeah. If you could bring this back, this is the ultimate way. I don't know how this is going to go over here in St. Louis, but you know who should buy it? Oh, God. Uh The NFL. Uh, The NFL should. And we should be able to see legitimate quarterbacks as a result of that. This goes back to the conversation we had a long time ago where I thought the XFL should operate as a minor league system 100%. for the NFL. Yes. you could. So you're not crazy. Guys that would sit the bench throughout the course of the season, so developmental offensive linemen, for instance, right? These young offensive linemen that get very few reps throughout the year, and we always talk about how bad the offensive line play is in the league. You know how it gets better? Watching these guys actually play in the spring. Give them real reps. They get paid for playing in the XFL in addition to what they were doing in the NFL. I I think this could really work. You have quarterbacks that are developmental guys that were sixth, seventh round picks. Maybe Jordan Talamu is back in the XFL next year because right now he's on the Chiefs. He's probably going to be their number three quarterback next year. If I'm the Chiefs and he takes zero snaps this season, which they're certainly hoping for, then, yeah, I want to see him play in the spring. I want to see him get those reps yeah, to become like the, that backup developmental guy behind Patrick Mahomes. It's like the G League in NBA. Absolutely. I mean, you get guys coming out of college or coming from overseas that didn't make the NBA, but they're still getting paid to be, and they get called up to the NBA when injuries happen. Yeah, text line blowing up here. Apparently, we've got some of Vince McMahon's family <laughs> that listen to this. But uh, 314, you guys are really underappreciating Vince McMahon as a businessman. Uh, from the 636, blaming Vince McMahon for the XFL's latest failures, like saying he created coronavirus. Well, no, we didn't say that. Here's here's the deal. Vince McMahon is an absolute beast when it comes to business. What he's done with the WWF, now the WWE, entertainment, all this stuff. Heck, you can trade it publicly in the New York Stock Exchange. Think about that for a second. All right, Wrestling, it's fake, but you can buy stock in it. So, yes, he's a wizard when it comes to that business. Is he a wizard when it comes to building a football league? So far, he's 0 for 2. 
And this one, yes, unique circumstances. The pandemic hit. It looked 100%. like they were headed yeah. in the right direction, although we're finding out now there were problems behind closed doors anyway. Maybe Vince should just take the L on this one. Get out of the way. Let some football people where it's yeah. their number one project take over, not their side project. And still be a smart businessman. Sell it to somebody, make a ton of money off of it, and let somebody else take control. And yeah. the other thing that I would add from the NFL's perspective, if they were going to do this, I agree with you guys about the markets. I know, and we got this from yeah. uh, 636, I believe. Uh, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service. Sex line comes from the 304. You need the big media markets to succeed and get the TV deals. I, I get that, but I don't know if LA having a team yeah. is LA really New affecting their... bad ideas. I said it from the start. You had the TV deals and nobody cared about them. Yes. Nobody even so, knew they were alive. Right. Instead of doing that, go to real football markets, right? right? Go to go to San Antonio. You know where yeah. football works? Texas. You know who doesn't have a team right now? San Antonio. Go down there and cool. play down there. Go back to San Diego or Oakland now that they both lost their Oakland football teams. Perfect. San Diego there's might be okay, but there's a lot to do there, yeah. and so you probably wouldn't have a great fan base. But th- there's markets that can work for this. You've just got to go find them. What about, like, Omaha? Go up to Nebraska. I bet you they would get involved mm-hmm. in something like this. So there's a way to make it work, and it certainly did succeed here. It succeeded in uh, Seattle. It was pretty solid in D.C., uh, I know that's an NFL market, but they seemed to do pretty well, well they there. They don't have an NFL team, though, lately there. That's a great point. Maybe that's why they did so well. There is a version of the XFL that can and will work, I do believe. And even without Vince McMahon, I actually think it might have a better chance to oh, succeed without him. In or out, an NFL stadium as a drive-in theater. The Dolphin Stadium suddenly could become a drive-in theater. They're soon turning their stadium into such a thing by using uh, 230 cars. Food and drinks will be purchased and delivered to cars if you want to. If this was something that was done locally, is this something you guys would be into? They're going to show marquee games and team history, classic movies, etc., Oh, yeah, I'm all in. We talked about it last week. I said drive-ins are are coming back, and and some of the old drive-ins are trying to redo them and bring them up to to modern-day pace. But if at Bush Stadium uh, they opened up and you could go and bring your car out there and watch it on the big screen. Awesome. It'd be incredible. I'm all in. Try doing, like, e-games there or something like that and sell it for that. It's not you a could bad stream idea. Stream it that way. It's not a bad idea. In fact, the idea of a drive-in period for even you know we talk about watch parties. Once things become a little more normal, yeah. we saw the success of watch parties during the Blues playoff run. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine having a drive-in that is sole purpose is to broadcast away games for teams? They have you could bring your own booze. Superplex in Hazelwood that's doing a lot of that stuff right now. Yeah, it's a drive-in idea. theater. I think that's the one that that's going to be opening up. Yeah, yeah, they, they've but opened it up for sporting that. Sporting so, events. Yeah. yeah, so you bring bring your own beer. Right, so basically, you're tailing with a bunch of other people while you watch a sporting event on a huge TV. I'm all in. I'm on that. surprised that people didn't did, didn't take advantage of those road games this season before the pandemic hit. Because for how popular that was in the playoffs, and I know the playoffs are a different entity than the regular season, but I guarantee you, if you open up a stadium for road games, people are going to come no matter what. Final thing here for in or out for you guys: MLB records in a broken or MLB broken records 
in a shortened season. Would you be in or out on seeing records that are broken in a shortened season? So, for example, I was going to say, what records could you break? If you, it would have to Batting be the average? rate stats, right? So, if you had the lowest ERA we've ever seen, but you did it over 82 games instead of 162. If you had the highest batting average that we've ever seen, but you did it over 82 instead of 162. Are we worried about the games? So, like the pitchers, I see your point, ERA. But what if the pitcher pitches, you know, gets 15 starts? That's half of what he would normally yeah. get. So over the course of the season, what you right. typically see is an auto correction over that, right? Mm-hmm. Like here locally, Jack Flaherty last year in the second half of the oh season God. was unstoppable. He was unbelievable. Yeah. It was only the second half of the season. Yeah, That's yeah, kind of yeah. what we're looking at here, right? Yeah. So somebody can do that for even half a season, but it's yeah. very difficult to do over 162. I'm, I'm out on out. that one. I'm out on that one. I don't think the record this year for baseball, everything should just be wiped wiped out that way because see, it's not a real season. You're not yeah. going to get true numbers. It's just not. If sick. you're going to put an asterisk on anything, you're going to put an asterisk on that, I think. I'm yeah, with you. The personal side. Of yeah. The, yeah. I think there has to be some way to correct from that. Because that's dis- disrespectful to, to a Bob Gibson who had that single season record for an ERA and after yep. doing it for how- nobody can ever do that. But if somebody does it and less games started, that's a disrespectful, I think. Yeah. Playoff, I think you can still have them. Yeah. I don't think you can have regular season records. Records this year. Yep. And Major League Baseball. Man, we agreed on all three of these guys. Yeah. Something's wrong. With Jamie Rivers. He's about to screw it up. (laughs) And Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. Coming up next, the NBA's playoff format is up for grabs. Mark Cuban has some ideas. And it sounds like the NBA is open to a lot of different concepts. We'll discuss a few of them next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. I want to change things around. You know me. I'm, I'm a mover and shaker. I want to. I want to experiment. Um, and so I think you know what I proposed was that, and we extend the playoff format to ten teams from each conference and play at least five games prior to going into playoffs. And if we do that, every team in the Eastern Conference would be able, would have a chance at least of making the playoffs, and all but two in the Western Conference would do it. Alongside former Blues defenseman Jamie Rivers, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's Rivers and BK on 101 ESPN. That was Mark Cuban yesterday on CNBC talking about his ideas for a postseason plan for the NBA. It's looking at a bunch of different plans right now, apparently, the league. And they're not close to finalizing anything yet. They're apparently supposed to have a call with the commissioner and the players on Friday. Doesn't sound like anything's going to be finalized there. They're looking at so far. 30 teams potentially returning to play to finish out the regular season. Sounds like that's relatively unlikely. Uh, unlikely, rather. They're looking at a potential 20-team group play, which is kind of similar to what we see in the World Cup before jumping into the actual quote-unquote postseason. They're also looking at, as you just heard from Mark Cuban, a 20-team postseason with play-in games similar to what the NHL is doing, or they could just do their traditional 16-team playoff format. So there's a lot of negotiation, a lot of ideas being thrown out there right now. I want to ask this of you, Jamie, because... I'm not as interested specifically in the individual concepts, but more so of, is this the time if you're a league, if you had an idea of how to switch up your playoffs in the future, to go ahead and implement those ideas now? Because nothing's going to look like normal. Everything's going to have an asterisk. I hear all this talk about the asterisk in the postseason. It didn't matter what your playoff format was going to be. That was always going to be there because of the pandemic, because of what has happened since early March now. 
uh, to me, this is the time to experiment. If you wanted to see what a group stage would look like for your postseason in the future, go for it. Try it now because this is the time when you can get away with it and you can actually get people to buy in. I'm for it. What do you think about that idea? This is your chance to have a mulligan. That's the way I look at it is to your point. You want to try something new. You want to get creative. You want to expand. You want to try different formats, maybe best of three to best of five to best of seven, tournament style, group style, whatever floats your boat. This is your mulligan. If it doesn't work and it falls flat on its face, guess what? We're in a unique time. Pandemic. Everything was different. We tried. We're going back to what you love. No harm, no foul. Pardon the pun. <laughs> on the foul part. But you you understand what I'm saying, right? Like It's yep. like you can take a swing as hard as you want at this right now, and if you shank it, I'll just use my mulligan. But if you crush it, hey, we got something new here. So do you remember the NBA's All-Star Game? They tried a new format at the end. If you if you remember this year, basically what they did is... I, I don't remember, missed that one. I don't remember specifically what it was called. But it's, it's a different kind of ending where it's not a timed ending. It's to a certain score. What? So it, it ended up being a massive success the, the way that they were able to do it. But it happened in an all-star game. And so people like you, Jamie, weren't watching. This isn't going to have the biggest audience in the world. And it wasn't for anything meaningful. These are the types of things that we typically see new ideas tried out in. You see it in all-star games. You see it in the minor leagues sometimes that none of us are really watching all that often. That's true. Or you'll see it in international play. It's the exhibition, preseason sometimes, exhibitions, and then in stuff that none of us are watching. So basically, when people aren't watching and the, the play, the performance isn't at the high level. What you could see here is the opposite of that. You could see the highest level of competition with your best players, with the biggest uh, listening and viewing audience, watching your sport, potentially doing something really creative and interesting, and maybe it falls on its face. Maybe it doesn't work. Maybe people look at the group stages and they're like, you know what, this was a really bad idea. It works for soccer in the World Cup. It didn't work for the NBA. You know what's great about it? After that group stage, you get into what a typical playoff format would be. After that initial, you've got the four or five hubs, depending on what they decide to do. You're now down to the eight teams again. Mm -hmm. And it just goes to the conference semifinals. And then from there, it's your normal bracket. So it's not all that much different. It's just how you get to those final eight teams. So for me, this is where the creativity can come out. This is where if you've got a guy like Adam Silver who wants to try things, who wants to do new and different and interesting things, it can work. The other thing that has to happen here, though, Jamie, is you've got to have players and the owners and the commissioner on the same page. Mm -hmm. A league like Major League Baseball can't do this right now. They can't. It would be impossible because they can't even agree on the simplest of things. So how could you possibly come up with a format in the postseason that is new and interesting and creative when you can't even agree on how to get back to the level, the, the field of play to begin with? The NBA has basically agreed to everything except for specifically what the format is going to look like whenever they resume play. The NHL was able to agree with everything. And they were able to get a new and interesting and different and potentially really intriguing playoff format that we're all able going to be able to see format. Yeah. When these guys are working together collaboratively, it can work. But for Major League, this part of it up. Yeah, look, if you haven't heard me say it yet today, I'm going to say it again. Baseball is just pissing me off. <laughs> it really is. Both sides. I'm not here to pet the owner's ego. I'm not here to pat the players on the back. I'm here to kind of give them both a little flick in the balls here. Wake up, guys. 
Like, you have a great audience, and you got one of the highest-rated sports, and I just think that you both need a little wake-up call, and what better way to get their attention? Just a little flick and be like, hey, guys, let's wake up here. I don't know. I just I feel like they're missing the boat on all this. And right now, all eyes are turning on to baseball, and they got to do something smarter. If you look at the other leagues, the players and the owners are talking behind closed doors. NBA, the big star players are talking to the owners or talking to the commissioner. Baseball, they can't get anything right. That's the way you wake up? Not the way I wake up, but if I want to wake you up, I'm just going to little walk by, a little flick, bing, I get your attention, I guarantee it. <laughs> it would it would certainly grab and capture my attention. No, not grab, I flick. I say, whoa, 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 whoa. So we call it cup check in the Rivers house. So, uh, Jamie, I hear you have an idea for how these uh, these stadiums can make an interesting and intriguing way of playing these games without fans in the stands. Okay, so now, full disclaimer, <laughs> I'm worried about talking about this idea because it really is that good. And I've talked to some local... We, so far, we've had Fight Island that has been stolen from us. The NBA is actually going to play in Disney World. That's a thing that is mm-hmm. actually going to happen. So we're two for two. Let's see if we can go three for three, Jamie. Well... I've talked to local businessmen on this one uh, who are in the tech industry is having people at home. Okay, look, you got some of these apps on your phone to where you can zoom in and your dog walks into a room and says your dog has entered the room and you can push a button and out goes a treat to your dog at home while you're at work. Okay, you have other apps like Ring that lets you know when someone's around and you can get on your app and talk to that person through the thing. Mm -hmm. So why not have what we would call the sports app? Or the fan app. And what you do is you have to sign up for that team's membership. And what happens is there's speakers in the arena already where they're playing. And during the game, each fan can have their phone and virtually connect and either cheer, yell, shoot. You have a whole bunch of options so that the crowd is in the game all the time. And when your team scores, you can hit the loud cheer button and it goes off. Like you have actual fans that are watching and they're cheering. And you can even self-record your own voice doing the cheer. So when you push the button on a big hit, like great shot, whoa, you have that when you hit the button in the stadium, it goes, whoa. Rivs, can you talk a little slower? I'm trying to type this up to send a thief Smith. (laughs) You'd laugh, but this came to me and I'm laying in bed about 3 a.m. I'm like, we have the ability to connect through apps with almost anything we want. Why would we not make an app like the St. Louis Blues make their fan app? And now you can take that app and during the games, as you're watching live, you can hit different reactions on the app. See, and I don't that even noise. think you need that. I think I, I'm, I'm 100% in favor of this. This sounds, this is perfect. You, you could even, instead of putting it on the actual speakers, you could have like individual speakers on each chair. Well, that was my next, that's phase two of the business. Was installing <laughs> Because you got to think of the cost of money here. Okay? Yeah, it's going to be expensive. It's going to be expensive. So what you want to do is just have that membership price as a part of it. But you'd have to do the, the pilot first, right? Yeah. To, you know, proof of concept, make sure people are going to buy it, make sure it goes out there and they're going to use it and players enjoy it. So your next phase is to have small speakers on each chair. And at that point, now you personalize it and you can sell that chair. So season tickets now, you become a season ticket holder virtually because you're watching it and audio accompany with it because you're able to cheer and boo and do whatever you want. So Jamie just came up with the idea that we've all been talking about, but he reversed it on its head and made it into a good one. So we've been talking about how the players should be mic'd up. Mm -hmm. No, we were all wrong. It's not the players that should be mic'd up. It's the fans. 
put the fans back in their homes where they are right now. They're quarantining. And while they're at home, yep. you have essentially mic'd them up so they can still be there. The players are already there. Nothing has changed for them. The only thing that has changed right now is the fans are no longer in the stands. So instead of switching anything around with how we're miking up the players, at home with your phone, you now have an app that you're reacting in live the live. way that you would yep. if you were at the game. I love it. You you, you can have 15,000, 20,000 people that are able to use it from any given area, any given fan base at Anywhere. that game. Anywhere you have Wi-Fi can, access. I love this. Can I tell you how distracting that would be for the players, though? Just hearing thousands of different voices coming in at the same time. Maybe the same no, thing as they normally it's do. It's not with. distracting. One, I can tell you, as a player, you usually tune all that out anyways. But at least when there's a goal and they ring the goal horn and the crowd, it's actually a crowd. It's not a recording. It's an actual crowd of people that are having live reactions to what's going on. Someone's going to abuse their app in play and just start... Well, then, then they lose. They violate well, the I thought terms about of that agreement. Too. Okay, I thought about that too. And so maybe you start off with uh, with a certain set of audio files that you can pick from and push throughout the game. Maybe we're not out there record your own voice yet. <laughs> maybe we have to get there and figure that out. Just be live. I mean, I'm here for it. I'm just saying someone's going to abuse it. So what I would say is there should be terms of agreement, as there is for anything someone's that you sign abuse up it. for. People are abusing it live, right. anyways. Think about that. Oh, yeah. People are yelling "F you, you stop!" Rah, rah, rah. They're doing it. Anyway, so what's the difference? And if somebody security. does it, and you can see, yeah, but they're not even having is. to escort you out of the building. Yeah, well. it's security. Okay, you see from an app because you'd have one master provider. Nate, see, does this person here? And you just how you about block security takes Delete your it. cardboard cutout out? They remove your speaker. <laughs> so there's a security guard removes your speaker if you use hey, obscenities. This guy in uh, section 412, <laughs> row A, seat 14. He's he's acting up a little bit. We need to go ahead and take that speaker <laughs> outside. Home's uncomfortable. Let's get but him out of here. The last phase to this would be that each person at home would have their camera on, on their device that they're using it from, so that different points throughout the game. Now, this would obviously be recorded segments so that you could go through, make sure that there's not anything wrong with it. But when there's a goal... You get flashes of people at home celebrating, dancing, cheering, and the noise is going on. And now you're getting that vibe like, yeah, that's our fan base. Similar to what, what they did for the NFL draft, right? Yes. Where you've got that, that collage of all the people back at home behind yep. Roger Goodell. Now, they didn't do it very well. And he was like, oh, come on. You need to keep booing. It was, yeah, he was just for the NFL. That, that's what they do. I like it. I love it. Somebody says, good luck trying to moderate that. I get it. You don't have got, to moderate it, though. That's the thing. Who moderates it in live? Yeah, and if you've got 20,000 voices and they're all set at the same volume, yes. basically, they're yes. all going to drown each other out. It's basically just the crowd noise that you would typically hear at any given game, yep. and they're coming over the speaker as opposed to being actually there with their voice. I, I love it. I love it. It's in, the, it's in the works. I'm telling you, we've had discussions with a local tech group, and this right here will be used as evidence... Of how he started this, if you try to copy I'm putting this out on Twitter after you the show. son of a... <laughs> With Jamie Rivers, that's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. Thief Smith ain't stealing this one. We'll get to the junk drawer next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Along with Jamie Rivers, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. Let's open up the junk drawer coming up in about 10 minutes. We'll get to Danny Mack. At 1.30, we will talk with NHL Deputy Commissioner Bill Daly. 
Jamie, let's get started. What you got today for the junk drawer? Okay, so um, we've been talking about snakes lately. We talked about the last couple weeks. And, and so an interesting whole case here that happened here. And, and this was uh, in India. Okay, of course, snakes are prominent over in India. Well, a man and his wife live in a house, and they had a snake that came in. And his wife was bitten by a viper, a venomous snake, rushed to the hospital, taken care of, nursed back to health. And when she was recovering, she was back with her parents' house. Uh, and, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, uh, the husband had gotten himself a black cobra. And while she's nursing herself back to health, threw the cobra on her and the cobra bit her what? again. So now... So is the husband attempting to murder? This is what? where... Listen, this is where it gets interesting. So now it's gone from accidental snake bite yeah. for the first one to now local authorities are are suspecting the husband of attempted murder now. Uh, guys, wouldn't you just ask for a divorce instead? 100%. Like, you're gonna, like, you unleash must two... must be frowned upon in India, right? That's got There's gotta be a cultural thing that's happening here. I but guess... It's, it's better to murder than to divorce. Yeah. The... <laughs> Seems a little messed up, What but... a slogan. Better to murder than divorce. It's crazy. He allegedly bought a highly venomous viper from a snake handler in his first attempt to kill his wife, and then when that didn't work, he bought a different snake from the same snake handler. Oh my god! In order to drop the cobra, actually, he had uh, poked it and messed with it and got it real angry, and then threw it on the bed with his wife, where she was Good bit again. Lord. Now, there's always a, a good ending, right? She survived. She's fine. She's a scrapper. Uh, the husband, yeah, he's been taken into, into custody. Apparently, they've got quite the case against him. <laughs> <laughs> I would imagine that is a yeah. open and shut case. What a snake. Ah, uh, no, I'm not. Doesn't even deserve it. All right. Well, Doesn't even deserve that. it, Ribs. Whatever. All right, Jamie, we are going to, uh, <laughs> we're going to go to Thailand where there is another ridiculous story. So there's a lot of different people that are into a lot of different things. I'm not going to shame anybody for what they're into, except for this particular individual, because he's into something that's a little bit weird. So we're in Thailand and in this little village area, and people are starting to notice that their shoes are disappearing. And it's becoming prevalent around the community. And so they they so prevalent that they end up calling the police saying, hey, you know, there's somebody that's stealing our shoes and it's happening, happening regularly. And so they're looking for who the shoe thief is. Right. We look for Keith Thief Smith. They look for shoe thieves in this particular story over in Thailand. Well, eventually they figured it out. They cracked the case. There's an individual that has been stealing shoes from this area for two years, so much so that he has now accumulated 126 pairs of shoes. Now, you might wonder, what is this guy doing with these shoes? Running. Well, glad you asked. He is not running with them. He's running something, but not the way that we are expecting you to typically run. Okay. Apparently, this man has a foot fetish. And his oh, way. Wow, left turns. Left turns. Ryan style. To continue forward with his foot fetish is using the shoes as a stand-in and making love with the shoes. But here's, let me correct me if I'm wrong, guys, because I'm I'm not really up to speed on this foot fetish thing. Uh heard of it but thank god usually usually if you have a foot fetish a fetish you would actually have to have a foot 
Apparently, the, the smell of the yeah. feet. The if fact the shoe that smells like a foot. Yeah, but is, it's not the actual foot. People, to my knowledge, like it's the foot that they crave, not so the smell of the foot. flops. So I, I don't know if that changes anything, but those are the types of shoes specifically. Wouldn't it be more of a guy? shoe fetish than ribs, a foot fetish? Ribs, you're getting pretty defensive over the, the actual foot no, fetish. No, I'm curious. I'm curious because I see a lot of shoes at your house, Alex. I'm very That's curious true. as to what's going on right now. Alex around. is a little bit of a sneakerhead, <laughs> so we're <laughs> starting to wonder. There's some questions that are arising on Ribs and BK. Great. Now that's out there. Again, happy ending. He has oh, been no, found. No. You can't. Come on, BK. That's what she said. He has been found. They did take back the 126 pairs of flip-flops. Now, I'm not sure if the people are taking them back. Oh, I don't think I would want mine back. Talk about sanitizing. <laughs> Oh. They weren't white before. I think that this is a guy that is going to end up in prison. You think? From what I understand, he hasn't been charged yet or hasn't gone to jail yet, but he has been found. He'll get a so charge with a case in the has officially end. been solved. Okay, so I had something else for the junk drawer. I'm going to put it aside. I'm going to tell a personal story that happened with me while I was in Switzerland. Oh okay? Are we transitioning or are you going to stick on the foot fetish topic here? It has something to do oh, with God. shoes, okay? <laughs> and Don't nothing put to your do foot in your mouth. <laughs> that was a good one. Now, nothing to do with, with fetish, but we lived in an apartment over in Switzerland. It was three levels high. There were two other Canadian guys, or no, one U.S. guy, another Canadian guy, myself, and then the top floor was a Swiss couple. We never saw them. Like, didn't ever cross paths, but they were like the only ones in the building that weren't part of the hockey team. Well, we got a real good buzz on one night, and we're coming in, and I don't know what happened. We got turned around and whatnot, and me and one of my teammates end up upstairs trying to go into their apartment. I don't know why we were trying to get into their apartment. It was very confusing. We were pretty drunk, okay? Like, like I'm, I'm talking like holding each other up drunk. And here we are okay. trying to open the door. And the lady opens the door a little bit. The husband's like behind her. They're freaking out and panicking. Now I'm freaking out because I'm like, oh, my God, I'm in the wrong building right now. And so we run down the stairs, but it's snowing outside. <laughs> so now in my bright head... I think, oh, my God, I'm in the wrong building. I got to get back to my building. I don't have shoes on. So I take the shoes that are outside the door at this guy's apartment, and I wear his shoes outside and then realize, oh, wow, I actually am in the right building, but now I can't return the shoes because now it's going to look really bad. See, now you stole them. Now I stole the shoes. So I wear the shoes into my apartment and take them and kind of put them off to the side and pass out somewhere. And in the morning, there's a knock, 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 knock at the door. It's the landlord. Lord, who was a great guy, his name was Eros, with local authorities. <laughs> and they're asking me if I saw anybody last night, there was a burglar in the building. <laughs> so, meanwhile, the shoes are just over to the right. I'm not joking. <laughs> the shoes are like right around the corner and they have mud on them. The best part, the shoes were like a size seven. I wear a size 11. I don't even know how I got them on my feet, let alone to get out of the building. But yeah, so the cops, I acted like I didn't know anything. I was asleep and didn't see anything. Uh, later on that day, I found a way to take the shoes and like put them by the front door outside, and hopefully he got them back. But yeah, so that's my shoe story of one night of too much drinking over in Europe, and I stole a guy's shoes. <laughs> proud moment. Totally, you should, you should be proud. Totally, totally, totally amazing. Now it's Rari on Brandon Kylie. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. That was embarrassing. Danny Max going to join us next. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. 
alongside former Blues defenseman Jamie Rivers. I'm Brandon Kiley. It's Rivers and BK on 101 ESPN. Let's go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line, where we are happy to be joined by Danny Mack. He's the host of Scoops with Danny Mack. Weekdays from 10 to 11 o'clock right here on 101 ESPN. And, of course, he's a Cardinals broadcaster as well. Dan, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. How about you guys? Uh, we're doing fantastic. Let's start with the news of the day yesterday, Dan. We talked a little bit about it earlier, but let's kind of dive in a little deeper now. The the proposal from Major League Baseball to the players. Now, I saw a quote in The Athletic from one of the agents for the players. Quote, I've never seen a collective response like I'm seeing today from the players. They are livid. Another one says, basically, this has become a right back at you, screw you type of a situation, adding that they're playing a dangerous game of chicken. What did you make of the initial proposal for economic ramifications from the owners to the players? It's a tough day for baseball. I think it's a tough day to be a fan and try to be upbeat when you hear the news of the NHL agreeing to to come back and their economic situation is fine. We'll see if they can get through all the testing and the safety protocols. And more and more, it looks like the NBA is coming back. And if you're a baseball fan, especially this day and age, BK, you just don't want to hear about the money. And it's no surprise the union did not take kindly to that first proposal from the from the MLB and. The thing I, I get concerned about is it's, it's just time. You know, there's not a lot of time to get this done. I would consider June 1st to be maybe a soft deadline, and then you'd go into the first week of June to be the quote-unquote hard deadline to get this thing done. And there's a lot of work to be done. I, I just, I'm, I'm still optimistic because I just don't think either side, if it comes down to the money, can let this situation go by the wayside and say that you're not going to have meaningful games for what would be 17 or 18 months. I I just don't see that happening. I really don't. So, Danny, look, I've been going back and forth with this all day, and I'm just sort of down on both sides when it comes to this negotiation. I think that it's been handled poorly from the players as well as the owners. But in your own opinion, who has more work to do in this uh, this agreement? Because right now the owners are talking about this sliding scale for payments or for salaries, but yet they're not really disclosing how much money they actually make, which is what you would base the scale off of because you'd say, hey, we're losing revenue here, so the scale has to slide down, or we're doing good here, now we can scale up. I mean, what do we got? Who's got to do the most work in this agreement to make it happen? I would assume both, and that's why I said it's a, a tough day if you're a baseball fan. It was a bad day because it was, there was a lot of negativity that, that went along with this, and now, you know, do, do you look at deferred payments potentially for players? Uh, is that something that would be on the table? Um, they, they've really put the pressure in that first proposal, at least from my opinion, on the top-end players. So your Garrett Coles of the world, your, your Mike Trouts, those that are uh, top-heavy, if you will, in, in salary, they're going to ask them to take the most significant cuts in, in what they make um, for for you know their their time, and and obviously it's thirty six million, thirty million dollars being cut down uh, considerably. Your your lesser guys, you know those that make one below one million, it's about sixty five percent of the the players association. They're going to get cut, but not nearly as bad clearly as though those at the top. So you, you're putting a lot of pressure, at least from the outside looking in on, you know, the guys that are making a lot of money and saying, okay, you, you know, here's your union brother and you want to you take care of everybody. Well, now this, this is your chance. 
I would just say it's no one looks good. You know, you're you're a fan out there. You love sports. You want to see sports back like we all do. Um, and you're trying to play the the blame game. I, I'm not sure you can go either way and say this one's right and this one's wrong. I I just think there's too much to lose, and you got to come together and make this thing happen. So, Danny, based on the fact that yeah, the big money guys are going to stand to lose a lot more. Now, percentage wise, it's all relative to the the lower salary guys, but the big guys are the ones with the big bank accounts. Do you see a scenario where star players across the league just say, ah, you know what? Screw it. It ain't worth it. I'm just going to take the year off. This is a pain in the neck anyways. Yeah, I'll lose my $7 million, but I'm probably going to make that up in an endorsement somewhere along the way, so I'm out. I could see it. Yeah, I think anything's on the table. Um, and I, it wouldn't surprise me if you saw it in the NBA as well. You know, if the NBA came back and guys just said, you know, for the amount of money and the time that I'm expected to go do this, is it really worth it? You know, the safety protocols, is it worth it? Um, I've been saying that from day one. I could see high-end guys. And, and, and look, if it's about the safety and the health issues, I don't blame them. But if it comes down to money, uh, people are, are just not going to that, – that's just not going to fly you know if it's about totally 100 percent the money uh the general public is going to say let's get this thing done figured out and get back on the field and again just look at it from you know in two weeks from now if you're not on the field or at least there's not an agreement you know you've got the nba potentially the nhl we know if everything goes to plan coming back and you're going to have that window of the American uh, sports fan watching, really worldwide, a lot of people watching. It's a global game in, in certain respects. Um, watching the best parts of their season, which is the playoffs. And really, we we have not seen in baseball a meaningful game, in, in you know, since Game Seven of the World Series. So you're 17 to 18 months off if all goes to plan, and you're back to spring training next year, which we just don't know. I think you you have to look at it though. It's just one season, and where are we when we come out of this in the betterment of the game and I would hope that those big end players that you're talking about, the big stars that people want to see, would say I, I'm I'm comfortable with the safety protocols, I'm comfortable with the health issues we're taking care of as much as we can be, uh, I'm willing to sacrifice whatever I need to do to get back on the field. Now, that that's me saying it, I have a vested interest in this I want to go back to work uh, a lot of people are saying that, but uh, you know, I'm not the one that, that has to take that massive, uh, massive of a cut, I, I get it but they're important to the game and and people want to see the best players play we're talking with dan mclaughlin he's the host of scoops with danny mack weekdays from 10 to 11 o'clock right here on 101 espn give him a follow on twitter as well at danny mack tv dan you talked about the future of the game and i want to ask you about the future of the minors for a second because the a's yesterday informed their minor league players that they're not going to be paid their 400 dollars per week they were promised after the end of this month what does the future of minor league baseball look like at this point? Well, there's a lot of teams on the, the chopping block anyway, and so that becomes easier to eliminate those teams, which is something that uh, Major League Baseball was looking to do. The future, immediately, uh, even though it hasn't been made official, I would have to say, if you see that happening, and kind of read the tea leaves of where we're at in the country, and you know we're, we're barely able to maybe get professional sports back on the highest level, well, the, the minor leagues are not going to come back this year. So, the trickle-down effect with this could be massive. You know, I, I think 
think about player development. The Cardinals themselves have Dylan Carlson, uh, Matthew Libertor, Nolan Gorman. These are all very top-end, high-end prospects that you could see in the big leagues, certainly in Dylan Carlson's case this year. Uh, Nolan Gorman is a year or two away. Libertor is not that far away. Um, now, I would assume that some of these minor league players, the top prospects, would be part of that 50-man expansion that you would have in the taxi squad. So you'd have inter-squad games or able to see live BP, travel with the club potentially, uh, get a taste of the big league life. But that's not the competition of playing every day in the summer. So it's it's. I think we won't know the true answer to that, BK, until uh, maybe a year or two from now on development aspect of players. But it's going to be a hit. And, um, and I feel for those that are in minor league baseball that uh, are the families that a lot of these are kind of like family-run businesses and your mom and pop stops and uh, and they need people in the seats. They don't have the TV contract. They don't have the huge revenue coming in on media. So uh, it's going to be a, a really, really tough business to get back going. It, it will go. I mean, it's going to happen, but uh, some of these teams just aren't going to be able to survive, I would assume. Dan, final question that I've got for you. In terms of, let's try to look at the optimistic side of things. What is giving you optimism right now? Like, other than just having hope, having belief that baseball will eventually figure this out where's the optimism coming for you talking to players that they really want to play um you know those that i've talked to whether it be on the air or behind the scenes uh people i've talked to behind the scenes they all want to play everybody I, there's not one person that said to me i don't want to play we should just bag this thing and you know go into 2021 not one has said that so the optimism is that there's too much to lose and you know it's not only this year but kind of what i was saying before just the entire look at, at baseball and, and go beyond this year and have a big picture look at it there's just so much to lose that i don't think they can afford to do this especially if it comes down to money now if somebody said to me that hey you know we couldn't get the safety protocols right i get it then it's not worth the risk you know for certain people other people it might be um but the other optimism i have is that the lower end players haven't had that big bite at the apple and they want to make money and the, the window to do that is probably three to four years on average for a major league player now we're not talking about guys that play 10 or 15 years or have the 200 million dollar contracts we're talking about those that are you know not scrapping to get by and make it in major league baseball but those where it doesn't come easy and this is their window to make that money so that's why i i hold optimism and i go back to this i think you have to have a firm date in mind to try to get this done and whether it's june 1st or june 5th or whatever uh, i know the players want to have more games to make more money if that is a, a an issue for them then they need to get back on the field as soon as possible to have spring training start the season as early as they can because the further you push this back the shorter amount of time you have to get games in so all those factors coming in i, I just I, i've got to keep faith that hey yesterday was just one of those days where you start the negotiating and sometimes it's ugly and you get into a room and you hammer this thing out and i, I do believe cooler heads will prevail and we will have baseball i, I, I just can't see him not doing it i really can't he's dan mclaughlin you can hear him weekdays from 10 to 11 o'clock now from on 101 espn he's the host of scoops with danny mack you can follow him on twitter he posts all of his podcasts there as well at danny mack tv dan you're the best man we'll see you tomorrow morning
Okay, guys, thanks. Appreciate it. Absolutely. That's Dan McLaughlin joining us here on Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. It's 119. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. I wanted to react to one thing he had to say there, Jamie, before we get to coming up at the bottom of the hour, Bill Daly, NHL Deputy Commissioner. He's going to be joining us joining us coming up at 130. He mentioned you got to have a firm date in the back of your mind. That's one thing I'm losing a little bit of hope on. I'll explain why coming up on the other side on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. I know the players want to have more games to make more money. If that is a, a, an issue for them, then they need to get back on the field as soon as possible to have spring training, start the season as early as they can, because the further you push this back, the shorter amount of time you have to get games in. So all those factors coming in, I, I just, I, I've got to keep faith that, hey, yesterday was just one of those days where you start the negotiating, and sometimes it's ugly, and you get into a room and you hammer this thing out. And I, I do believe cooler heads will prevail and we will have baseball. Alongside Jamie Rivers, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's Rivs and BK on 101 ESPN. That was Dan McLaughlin just a moment ago. If you missed any of our conversation, 101ESPN.com is where you find the podcast page. I think that idea of a deadline is something that we probably haven't talked enough about. I've got two reports that I want to bring up first, and then I want to get your thoughts on this, Jamie. John Heyman said earlier today, quote, there's not a lot of time. June 1st is a soft deadline, but June 5th to 10th is firmer. But remember this, both sides have too much to lose to blow this up over money. Bob Nightingale then also said this morning, there is no hard deadline, but if the two sides reach an agreement by about June 6th, their season could still start by the 4th of July weekend. Again, that came from Bob Nightingale. The idea that there is a deadline has been something that I've been operating under the assumption of this entire time because we've been told MLB has a date in mind. They want the 82-game season. That's what they need to make this work. They need to get started the 4th of July weekend. And if they're going to get started then, they need to be in these quarantine bubbles or whatever by mid-June. About June 10th is what we had typically heard from those people. So they said June 1st is when we have the deadline. we got to have something done by then. Well, now it is overnight, seemingly, changed to June 5th or maybe even the 10th as the deadline. And then Bob Nightingale says there is no hard deadline. If that doesn't exist, Jamie, my optimism for a deal ultimately getting done drops significantly because the deadlines are what make these deals happen. And if owners don't see it as a deadline, if they're okay with not playing this season, if that is truly their stance... I will suddenly become much more pessimistic on the idea of actually getting something done with baseball. You got to have a deadline. You have to. Otherwise, it's just going to float around forever and this and that. No, you put a deadline. In fact, I can't I can't believe that the owners or the players association for that matter hasn't put a hard deadline on this. Reason being is call our bluff then. You know, if the owners are like, hey, the deadline is June 8th. Let's just put it that way. That We can't go any deeper than June 8th. Well, now the players have to sit back and think, wow, uh, I, I think that we may have to f- figure this out. We may have to think hard about this. And maybe the pay structure isn't that bad. You know, I don't want to miss. Even though I'm not getting it all this year, I don't want to miss having a full season. Flip side of that is the players. Why couldn't the players just say, hey, we're putting a hard date on this at June 10th, the union. If we haven't got, you know, June 8th, June 9th, June 10th, whatever, if we haven't got a good deal in place, then we're just not going to play. That's the bottom line. And now what? Right? So at that point, I think it activates 
both sides to, I don't know, be friendlier or at least get to work. Like lock the lock two guys in a room, of course, socially distance, <laughs> wearing a mask. I don't care what it takes. Put them both in bubbles in a room and make it get it done, man. This is stupid right now. Put a deadline on it. That way it forces the guys, the higher ups to figure it out quicker. And it makes you know, OK, when do we need to have our proposal in? Right. If the deadline is June 10th, it's very different in terms of the patterns of the negotiations than if the deadline is June 1st. If it is June 1st, if that is real, and I I don't seem to think that it is based on some of the reporting that we've seen in recent days, but that means they have basically this weekend to get a deal done. Yeah, they got to figure it out. It. And there has to be a whole lot of back and forth between players and owners between now and then. There needs to be proposals going back and forth constantly. And they might be, the, okay? They might be. We don't know because I've been a part of this before with the NHL and the NHL. Seems PA. like everything's getting out publicly with this one, though. But there is a lot of stuff going on behind closed closed doors and then the the hot buttons are the ones that get aired out in the media because they want to get the temperature of the fans of the media of the of the other side what the you know they're waiting for the players to respond through twitter or facebook or instagram they're trying they want to see well what do we got here how close are we with this I think right now, though, they got to get to work. Enough of the posturing. Enough of the BS. Let's just get this done. Figure the heck, we're not even asking them to play baseball this week. Just come to an agreement. They may never get to play baseball. Yeah. Okay, that's a reality. Something might happen. This thing might rear its ugly head again and no baseball. But at least have an agreement in place. Bottom line, put a deadline in place. Put a deadline of we know this is the date where we have to have something done or a season is not getting played. And if you have that in place, you know exactly what you're up against. And you have that 11th hour where something has to be signed. You have to sign that dotted line and say, this is the last offer. There is no other offer coming. Where they're going to play baseball under this proposal or it's not happening this season. And that's when deadlines make the deal. So for baseball, that's what they've got to put in place. I'm surprised at this point that we're seeing so many different um, reports on when that deadline is, which seems to indicate there is no real deadline right now and it needs to be in place. With Jamie Rivers, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. Very excited about this next interview. The NHL Deputy Commissioner Bill Daly is going to give us a little bit of his time. The NHL announced yesterday it's return to play format with 24 teams. We've got a lot of questions about it. And why wasn't St. Louis under further consideration? about being a hub city. We'll ask Bell Daily that next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Alongside former Blues defenseman Jamie Rivers, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. Very excited to go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. We're happy to be joined by NHL Deputy Commissioner Bill Daly after the NHL announced yesterday its return to play format with 24 teams in the postseason, including the Blues as one of the four teams that will be playing in a round robin. Bill, let's start there with that round robin idea. What ultimately led you guys to that? That is the decision of the top four teams in each conference playing in a round robin. Uh, first of all, I'm happy to be with you guys. Thanks for thanks for having me, and uh, I'm happy to to be back. <laughs> um, the uh, the answer to that question is um, it really became essential once we were looking at uh, going into a play-in format. Um, that we had to create some type of opportunity for the clubs who would have buys in that format 
uh, to have some competitive games under their belt uh, before going into a playoff situation. Um, that was made clear to us. Well, first of all, it's one of the things we focused on initially, uh, but it was really driven home to us uh, by the players on our resumption of play committee um, that, uh, you know, if, if we want to go a, a, a kind of play in qualifying round um, um, mechanism, we needed to find ways to get the other teams playing meaningful games. Uh, and that's really the genesis of the of the uh, round robin. Now, Bill, the, the format itself, uh, look, at, I'm a fan of it. I think that the NHL and the Players Union have done a fantastic job of creating a solution in unique times, and I think it's a, a great job. So for you and everybody behind it, job well done. Um, now, further to that, how how quickly was this format come to to fruition when the players union and you guys got together how quickly was that process to get to this that's a great question and i would say the the whole concept i mean we did really and i think i talked to you guys about this previously we really did consider every possible uh return to play format that could have existed um including almost going full full circle we we uh you know, the commissioner and I, when we first thought about this, uh, we, we thought about a, a potential for a 24-team format. Um, and then as it looked like we had a little more time in the summer with the Olympics being postponed and, and not knowing what the future looked like, um, we started thinking more uh, in-depth about returning to some regular season games, either partial regular season games, uh, or even uh, potentially trying to finish out the regular season schedule uh, before bringing on a playoff format. Um, and then we had uh, various discussions with the resumption play committee and the players. Um, and, you know, we talked about all those different possibilities. And, and ultimately, they came back with, you know, the concerns about being away from their families in, in hub cities, being isolated to a certain extent, and, and, and maintaining kind of healthy conditions for the players and club staff and, and league staff. And I think we jointly came to the conclusion that, um, as long as we can keep intact the integrity of the playoff format, uh, we should be trying to come up with something uh, where we could get the players in and we could get them out uh, and finish the season in as efficient a way as possible. And uh, so we, we got back to this one. We got back to this format. NHL Deputy Commissioner Bill Daly joining us here on Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. You mentioned the hub cities, Bill, and I know you guys didn't announce any of them yesterday, but you did talk about the 10 that are still under consideration. St. Louis not included in that mix. I'm curious, and I know a lot of our audience was curious as well, what was it that St. Louis didn't provide that you guys are looking for in the criteria for what a hub city will ultimately bring for the NHL? Well, I'll start with saying that uh, obviously we love St. Louis and we love St. Louis as an event market uh, as, you know, the last couple of years uh, kind of demonstrate with uh, with the All-Star Game and before that the Winter Classic. Um, and and quite frankly, we, we love working with the Blues, Chris Zimmerman and his group. They're, they're always uh, very easy for the league to work with. Uh, for this particular, um, um, the criteria we were looking for for this particular hub city concept, um, a lot of it was kind of health related, bubble related. 
proximity, um, uh, you know, overall health condition in the marketplace. And Los St. Louis uh, presented good options in a lot of those categories at the end of the day if you stack them up uh, against some of the other uh, cities we were looking at. Um, they they had some drawbacks in, in some of those areas. Nothing specific, nothing I could uh, really single out for you. Uh, we just felt from an overall health perspective, uh, health and safety perspective, that there, uh, there are better options out there. Are you thinking like hotels there, like proximity to um, Enterprise Center and those sorts of things of actually quarantining the players? Yeah, that's a good example. All right, Bill, we talk about the, the hub cities, and now you guys have narrowed down to a group that were presented yesterday. Ultimately, and I know you, you haven't had the final discussion on this, but ultimately, in a perfect world, how many hub cities are we looking at here to get through this playoffs, these play-ins, and finish out the season? So the way we have it drawn up right now, we are looking at two hub cities. Uh, one for the participating Eastern Conference clubs and one for the participating Western Conference clubs. Uh, we're looking at bringing in all those clubs um, in each conference to, to their respective hub city uh, in time for them to, to play a couple exhibition games to, again, get some competition under their belt before the, the tournament starts. Um, and then the way we have it uh, lined up, obviously, you know, uh, sheets of practice ice are, are important to accommodate 12 teams, and that was one of the considerations and is one of the considerations uh, we have to be mindful of as we approach this. Uh, but the way we have originally drawn this up, and again, this is subject a little bit to change now that the players are evaluating uh, different aspects of the proposal, um, but with a, uh, with a five-game play-in uh, followed by a five-game best-of-five first round and best-of-five second round, we we could complete essentially the first half of the playoffs in in uh, under t- 30 days, uh, which would mean that if t- 24 teams are participating, we get 20 of those teams home uh, and the players back to their families within months' time, um, which uh, again serves the benefit of efficiency and and. Uh, prioritizing the health and safety of the people involved in this. Uh, so that was uh, kind of the current mindset um, when we when we drew up this plan. As I said, the, the, the players are evaluating whether uh, they would prefer uh, typical and traditional best of seven series in the first two rounds, and we're respectful of their process in terms of getting back to us on that. Now, Bill, uh, I noticed there's a couple of Canadian cities on this short list, and um, I know that yesterday um, the athletes were deemed to be essential workers. How does that change things moving forward if the NHL was, let's say, wanting to put one of these hubs in, like, the city of Toronto? Well, one one of the things that, uh, you know, obviously we've been in touch with the federal governments both in the United States and in Canada, and I I would... uh, uh, give a lot of credit to both uh, governments in terms of being mindful uh, of some of the issues we were facing as a international sports league with uh, with players from all different countries uh, and the existing travel restrictions uh, both into the United States but also into Canada. Uh, and I think in both countries, we uh, the government was receptive in, in terms of looking at foreign foreign professional athletes. Uh, as being exceptional in terms of their ability to travel into the country. So we uh, don't believe we face any barriers to getting players back into uh, the country in which their home team plays. 
um, where we have a continuing obstacle and hurdle uh, is in Canada uh, and each of the three Canadian cities we're currently considering because in Canada, there is a federally mandated 14-day quarantine period uh, for players or for players for people entering the country, um, and in the hub city concept in particular, if we were to pick a Canadian city uh, and we wanted to, you know, transfer 10 teams at the end of training camp into Canada, uh, it wouldn't be feasible for us to use a Canadian city as a hub city if they had a if those 10 teams or 11 teams or whatever the number is have to quarantine for two weeks. Um, so that's something we're currently in discussions uh, with the Canadian government on. Uh, again, not looking for the repeal uh, of that uh, health provision. Um, that's been in their Quarantine Act for some time now um, and has been enforced very strictly. What we're looking for is a kind of a positive interpretation that that quarantine can be served uh, by players given uh, the nature of the bubble we'll be building around them, uh, both from where they're coming and where they're going to. Um, and, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're still in discussions on that issue. Final question for NHL Deputy Commissioner Bill Daly here on Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. I wanted to ask you, last time we talked with you, we talked about the salary cap, and certainly here in St. Louis, we're very interested in that for Alex Petrangelo's future here with the Blues. Will the 24-team format, having more teams involved in the playoffs, will that affect potentially the salary cap moving forward? What's the latest on that situation? I don't think one is directly related to another. Obviously, our ability to play out uh, the playoff uh, format that we've outlined yesterday and award a Stanley Cup uh, certainly preserves uh, a lot of revenue in the uh, 1920 season and should help with respect to HRR calculations and the like. Uh, but I think, it, you know, given where we are and given the, the, uh, the fact that we're not going to have fans in the stadium or the, the arenas most likely uh, during this playoffs, and we don't know uh, precisely when, uh, they'll be reintroduced uh, at NHL games. Uh, I think the salary cap uh, in the short term is going to be a product of, of a negotiation between the, the players and, and the clubs and the league. Um, and, you know, we have those those discussions are ongoing. We've uh, we forged a very good relationship and, and working uh, uh, relationship with the Players Association during this time period. Uh, everybody's aware of the issues and what we're dealing with. And, and uh, to this point, everybody's been rowing in the same direction. He's Bill Daly. He's the NHL Deputy Commissioner after the league announced yesterday its return to play format with 24 teams. Bill, we know you are unbelievably busy right now, so we hugely appreciate you taking the time out of your day to come on with us here in St. Louis. All the best to you, and thanks so much for doing what you can to make sure that we get to watch hockey moving forward. Brandon, Jamie, thanks to you guys. Uh, thanks for having me on. Absolutely. That's Bill Daly joining us here on Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. A lot to react to there. Um, I thought it was interesting, specifically with the Hub City. I know that's a question that a lot of our audience has been asking over the last 24 hours since this has been introduced. We'll talk about that a little bit on the other side. Plus, there's still a negotiation to be had. But I'm very optimistic about the NHL's ability to get that negotiation done. We'll get into all of that on the other side as we cross things over with the fast lane on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Alongside 
by former NHL defenseman Jamie Rivers. I'm Brandon Kiley. It's Rivers and BK on 101 ESPN. Huge thanks to Bill Daly, the NHL Deputy Commissioner, for joining us moments ago. If you missed the conversation, 101ESPN.com is the place that you find it after the show has concluded. Actually, wait till 6 o'clock, if you don't mind. You keep 101 ESPN on. Turn, yeah. the, turn the sound down on that. Just wait until But keep later. it on You're and really then listen rush. to the podcast. We talk, no, we're all, we're all team players. Go back and listen to all the podcasts starting at 6. Great point. All the interviews. Subscribe, rate, and review them as well. You should probably do all of that. There's nothing good on TV anyway. Download constantly. Game of Thrones is over. By the way, Chris Ronji is in studio from Better, Fast Lane. Yeah, we're crossing things over. fumbling around <laughs> trying to find his mic and everything. Everything's good over Don't here, Don't take it personal. Everything's good. So I wanted to react to a couple of things that Bill Daly had to say. The headliner probably for most in St. Louis is what he said about the Hub City. So I want to get to that here in just a second. But he did mention, and I'm just going to be wrong on this, and that's perfectly fine. I'm accepting of being wrong on things. Uh, he said the players wanted the round robin. And so if the individual teams wanted the round Robin, I, I, my idea that, or my belief that it penalizes teams like the Blues, who over 70 games earned the right to be the number one or number two seed, at least, in my opinion. I'll just be wrong on that, and that's perfectly fine, but he says that the players really wanted that round robin to have uh, meaningful games yep. while the play-in games are taking place. He also said there's still a negotiation that needs to happen with the Players Association for the salary cap for next year. That is ongoing. Um, and then the thing that we wanted to talk about in a little bit more detail, of course, is St. Louis as a hub city. And his answer was low. And it was about health and safety. And I asked a follow up. So you're talking about hotels and quarantine, basically. He said, yes, that's part of it. My takeaway from it, if I'm reading between the lines, and you can tell me if you agreed with this, Jamie, uh-huh. was basically he was saying it's not about like the COVID situation in St. Louis. It's about when we get there as a league, how do we then put on what is about to happen? How do we then make sure that we have enough rinks, enough ice to be able to put on what is going to be the postseason? What is going to be the playoffs here? Also, where where are we quarantining these players? Do you have the hotel capacity? Is there the ability to make sure that all of this goes without a hitch? Do you have the transportation to and from those hotels to the rinks? Can we make sure that everything is safe if and when we resume this play in your city? Apparently, according to the NHL, St. Louis didn't meet that criteria as well as certain other cities, and there are 10 of them that they have decided are meeting it better. Yeah, okay, so first of all, the rinks aren't a problem. With all the facilities that St. Louis has available now, specifically St. Louis Ice Center, Centene Center, uh, they meet the criteria tenfold. It's easy. It's a no-brainer. Do they have enough of them? Trust me, there's tons of ice available. Okay. I'm asking because he said you can get half of the playoffs done in 30 days, which was interesting to me. That, That means you're have multiple games going on in an individual well, city. Well, it also every feels day. like you got to know the vicinity of where those rinks are at and transportation wise, too. In that area, you have um, the Centene Ice Center, you have the Recplex, you have the Mills former practice ring for St. Louis Blues. You also have the family arena that could come into play, too. And those are, let's see, three, four, five, six, seven, seven ice sheets within 15 minutes proximity. So that's pretty good. And if you want to extend it by, oh, I don't know, another 10 minutes, you have a brand new facility out in Chesterfield, the Maryville 
hockey center out there that has two full sheets as well. Yeah, so. and I'm not saying any anything of what you're saying is wrong. I'm I'm just trying to like legitimately come through of what Bill Daly is. is well, where I'm headed here with this is that Bill Daly, I think the the snag was secluding the players from general population because St. Louis, the way they're set up, the only thing he could do is try to take over the Hollywood casino that would be right there, right next to it. But even that, I don't know if we're talking 12 teams here with significant others and all that stuff and, and team personnel. And I don't think there's enough there to house everybody safely. Do they want it? I, I, I'm really not sure how they want to do this, but I don't know if you guys have an idea. Do they want to have everybody within a, a couple of hotels? Think, are, they, are they So are they trying to do that, mm-hmm. or are they trying to make sure that it's like, uh, hey, we're going to have uh, one hotel per team, and hopefully nobody else is in the in the hotel? I, I, like, well, I don't no, know how they want to do this or how it makes sense. they about the security around the hotel, making sure that yeah. nobody goes so out they, they just want there. one hotel with everybody in. Like okay. the Vegas idea, the concept yeah. of the Vegas thing is they could fit multiple teams in one hotel, and then that hotel kind of go on lockdown. To so make if, sure nobody comes in and out. Yeah. yeah. If my math is correct, then, they would need about 550 hotel rooms to 60 or to 600. 50 people per team. 50 and you people 12 per teams. team. So, yeah, so you got the Blues. They're, they're the home team. They don't need hotels. But uh, I think they would be required yeah, to probably. do that oh, anyways. That right? okay. In order to otherwise, why would you quarantine yeah. everybody else? And yeah, that's what six hundred right. people, fifty people. Yeah, so per it's about six hundred rooms, and that's uh, not including anybody that is there for the media side of things or yeah. for the league itself. Yeah, 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 let, yeah. That. Let, let's say it's let's say it's a thousand, right? For yeah. for everything. Yeah, which would be way more than they need. I think there are something like seven thousand rooms in the St. Louis area. But if they want everybody in a centralized location, I can see where that would be more difficult to pull off. I'm curious. I think there's other cities set up better for that. Yeah, I mean, let's be honest here. Like, we've heard from everybody that Vegas is one of the cities. And if you're going to use Vegas, that's... don't tell anybody. (laughs) It seems like the worst kept secret in the NHL that Vegas (laughs) is going to be hosting the Western Conference. And so if that's the case, and you've got Vegas basically already declared, you just want to make sure that over the next two months, they don't have some massive outbreak with COVID, okay, then, then I guess you can't say that, but you might as well just say that. Right. Because then you're talking about where's the Eastern Conference going to play, and it makes sense that they wouldn't play here in St. Louis. You would probably yeah. want to host those guys in an Eastern Conference city. So if I were to guess what is actually happening here, I think it's that. I think Vegas is getting the Western Conference, yeah. and we're all kind of making a mountain out of a molehill over yeah, trying well, to fight through these words. Well, you brought it up. I, I agree, but I, I'm trying to explain to St. Louis, fight, but I think then, that's it. I think that that's it. Who starts the fight can't be the peacekeeper, too. He can back out. Actually, uh, you can. I've seen it happen. Uh, <laughs> Raj's the, life story the, the, from a friend. The, um, that thing, that particular bit of information, we played the Bettman press conference live yesterday. And that was the one thing everybody reacted to. I was listening. Was listening. Guys, yeah. It was like it, it was just text after text of why Chicago, not St. Louis. Yeah. You know, why Los Angeles, not St. Louis. And look, I, I'm not insulted by it. And I don't think we should be insulted. Are you? Yeah. He's, See, he now you're just trying easy. to start something. No, I'm not. I'm insulted by it. I was. I was pissed, actually, during. I almost went at Bill Daly when he said that. But then I 
was like, you know what? I kind of see his point. Sometimes we get our vision gets blurred because we have so much pride and we think we're doing such a great job here. Right. But yeah, to your point, Vegas probably equipped better. Yeah. Toronto, New York City even probably equipped better, even though their COVID was off the charts for a while. But we got some runway here. Well, look at it this way. We could make it happen if we wanted to here in St. Louis. But if you're the league, aren't you going to pick the place that it's easiest to make it happen? Yeah. St. Louis, is would we could do it. But I feel I feel like there are a lot of things we would have to make happen in order mm-hmm. because to financially get it to work. you have to do you have to think NHL wise they're not spending as much money for transportation because the rink's right there next to the hotel whatever yeah. they're at so it just makes financial sense everything's already difficult enough yeah. let's just find the easiest location for all no, of this to happen that's not as fun why else are coming back saying <laughs> we watched it all and we enjoyed it last year 101 ESPN presents Play Glory of the St Louis Blues run to the Cup each and every Thursday night you can hear a replay of two classes games from the Blues' historic run to the Cup. Relive those games with added insight and behind-the-scenes commentary from Chris Kerber, Joey Vitale, and Alex Ferrario. Thursday night, Blues versus Bruins Game 2. Friday night, Blues versus Bruins Game 4. Pre-game at 6. Play-by-play at 7. It is Play Gloria, the St. Louis Blues run to the Cup, and it is brought to you by Mitsubishi Electric Cooling and Heating. Ron, what's coming up on the fast lane, bud? Guys, uh, well, while the NHL seems to have some stuff figured out, Major League Baseball... <laughs> What in the what in the Sam Hell's going on around here? Uh, we'll talk about it next on the Fast Lane 101 ESPN. You have been listening to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN.